One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Courts 96 FM. That weather, the kind of weather that you, you kind of want David Fitz to shout at that weather and send it home. Flood is not an option, lad. Flood is not an option. Look out at that awful weather. But we did predict it and we did know it was coming and it should start to clear mid to late afternoon. I'm hoping to speak momentarily, or at least in the next half an hour, with the Director of Operations at Cork City Council, David Joyce. He's been in a meeting since 8 o'clock with all the various stakeholders in this thing to see just how bad the flooding is around the city this morning. We do have some alerts coming in from Cork Safety Alerts. They're doing brilliant work this morning on Twitter. Fair play to them. They video and they have photographs from all around the city and county. We also want to get the Bush Telegraph going on the opinion line this morning. Uh, It works for us spectacularly anytime we ask for it to do so. So if you're out there and you can see anything that you think we should know about, no matter where it is across the city and county, please please do let us know. Tweet a photograph if you can do that uh, to at opinionline96 or indeed email us something to opinion at 96fm.ie or a quick... Uh, fling us a quick text on WhatsApp or text machine, whatever. Just let us know what's out there and what we should be conscious of. There is flooding by Mallow Racecourse out on the N72. Very heavy surface water between Domina and Mala, Mallow. Reports of a tree down on the Cork Ring of Skiddy Road just before Shannon Park Roundabout. Uh, the R582 between Mill Street and McCroom. Not the best road at the best of times, flooded and downright impassable in parts at the moment. The Cross River Ferry is off for the moment. Reports of a tree down on the R600 at Five Mile Bridge. So anything that you can tell us to add to that, that we'll certainly bring to our listeners over the course of the morning. We think it is going to get a little worse before it gets any better. Just told there, David Joyce is not out of that meeting yet. And as soon as he is, he will speak to us with an update. Uh, The City Council did issue a press release early this morning. They've closed the Lee Road, the Claro Road, the Inniscarra Road since last night, the Carrigrahan Road in Shigagan Lane, Uh, all those areas around there, very severe surface water, extreme care should be taken. There's an orange rainfall warning still in place 
still in place. Uh, the various stakeholders, Metairn, ESB, Garda Shikona, HSE, Defence Forces, Port of Cork, Bus Aaron, all attending that meeting. The Army on standby to lend flood assistance. You can take it as written that uh, they expect it to get a little worse before they get, before it gets any better if the Army are on standby. So as soon as we have anything more from David Joyce at that meeting, we will go to him immediately, if not sooner. Also catching up with political correspondent Sean Defoe a bit later on on what exactly will happen today. The Cabinet is to sit down to discuss where we go with Level 5. Now, if you're to believe your newspapers this morning, and there's no reason not to, uh, we will be in full Level 5 until the 5th of April, which, if memory serves me correctly, is Easter Monday. Easter Monday we will be coming out of Level 5 if we come out of it at all. They're promising a review at that date. Now, given how long reviews take, I'd say you won't get out of Level 5 for at least a week after Easter, uh, before the kids are supposed to go back to school. So we're stuck with it probably until the middle of April, if not the end of May. We will find out more from Sean Defoe during the morning. Also, um, check on your spending. Have you been getting a bit too flahulook with the old click and spend? It gets very easy. You see something nice on an ad and you think, I'd like one of those. And, and you know what? I'll make myself happy. I'll buy one of those. And before you know it, you're spending money like it was water all over the place, online. And some people are running into trouble with their online spending. We'll go with that a little bit later on. But first of all, I want to deal with the issue of mandatory quarantine, which is starting, uh, as we know, at some date in March for visitors to Ireland from 20 countries, including Brazil and South Africa, where the two most virulent variants of this virus are coming from at the moment. And I read a very interesting piece in the Irish Times at the weekend warning us in Ireland not to make the same mistakes that Australia made and more particularly the state of Victoria made when they started with mandatory quarantine. And to read the article, you realise, oh God, we're going right down the same path as they went when it fell on its arse last July. And we all know how bad Melbourne got last July. More on that in just a couple of minutes. 1850-715-996. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With Lehan Motors, leading the way for Toyota hybrids. The place to order your 211 Toyota. See lehanmotors.ie. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award-winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 083-396-9696. On Cork's 96FM. Yeah, just the latest there, tweets from Cork Safety Alerts, which is a great account to follow on Twitter. They're saying that there's reports of downed cables on the R580 between Liz Griffin and Buttevin. That's a recent tweet from them. Also flooding on that road between Liz Griffin and Buttevin. Reports now are flooding also on the Spa Road in Mallow. And if there is anything that you think we should know about, do let us know at 083 396 96 96. But I said mandatory quarantine would be our first topic of conversation this morning as we await the update from the uh, flooding meeting at City Hall. And Australia is considered now to have the most efficient hotel quarantine system, at least in the English-speaking world. But they got it wrong 
at the start and it failed dismally last summer in the state of Victoria leading them into a very harsh lockdown. And in the weekend, the Irish Times, I read an interview with a man called Professor Mike Toole. He's an epidemiologist and he works at the Burnett Institute in Melbourne. And I was reading through it and thinking, I hope our politicians read that article. And I said I had to catch up with and speak to Professor Mike Toole. Professor, thank you for joining us uh, from Melbourne. As you know, we are about to embark in this country on a hotel quarantine programme, the details of which are being finalised at the moment. In the Irish Times, you said we need to learn from the mistakes that were made in Australia. What kind of mistakes were made in the initial days of your quarantine system? Well, if we go back to March last year when the programme began... Um, the states were only given 36 hours by the federal government to set up this program. So that that was the first big mistake. Um, I am in the state of Victoria, which then um, had a leak from hotel quarantine, which led to a massive uh, second wave of infections, resulting in Melbourne being in lockdown for one of the longest periods uh, in the world. And what happened? How did that leak happen? Well, there was a judicial inquiry and they found that one of the main mistakes was hiring private security guards through uh, contractors and subcontractors. And so the training was not standardised, the supervision was inadequate, and this resulted in a number of hotel workers being infected. Uh, Some of them had second jobs, so they then spread the virus to other workplaces, Um, there were big uh, family gatherings, and so the the virus took off. Um, So that was the the first big mistake, and that's been rectified in Victoria now with a brand-new system that started in November. So who supervises it in Victoria now? Okay, so there's a single agency called COVID-19 Quarantine Victoria, CQV, which employs all staff. Under their contracts, they cannot have a second job. They agree to be tested daily, and that includes now, and this is a recent um, modification, on their days off. So they're actually paid on their days off to go to a testing site. Um, so that that is, is, is a big change, but it's not universal across Australia um, because we don't have one national standard. It's up to each state and territory to implement their program. I'm sure you'll be aware that the government is looking to private security to run it here. You'd say that would be a mistake. We found it was a huge mistake. Unless you can institute a system of standard training, uh, making sure the staff receive the highest quality masks and that they are not permitted to have a second job. And that, of course, means paying them properly. Um, And this new agency in Victoria does pay these staff quite good salaries. So I I think that would be a big mistake. Something else that is being looked at is the, the, the people who will be quarantined here. We're looking at a list of approximately 20 countries. Now, I think the Australian view is everybody must quarantine no matter where you come from or who you are. That's correct, Uh, except for people coming from New Zealand, 
they they uh, don't have to go into hotel quarantine, but everyone else does. So when flights arrive, we don't have the problem that the UK has discovered of people from the red countries mingling with people from green countries in when they arrive and in the baggage um, collection areas. So everyone, um, as I said, except from New Zealand, of course, they'd be on separate flights. Um, but everyone else has to go into quarantine. They are met at the gate by health officials. Um, they're given a check, a, a health check. Their um, their test uh, that they they had to get before they um, went on the flight is checked, and then they're escorted through immigration and customs, and then they wait to be assigned to a hotel. They're provided with food and water, um, and then they're taken by a bus to um, one of two kinds of hotels. If they are ill, so have any symptoms of any kind, they're taken to what's called a, a health hotel. Um, there are two of those in Melbourne. Uh, everyone else is taken to one of the other nine hotels, and they uh, then check in, and they have to stay in their room for 14 days. They cannot leave their room for any reason except a medical emergency. Or if they test positive during their stay, they are transferred to a, a health hotel. You said they must not come out of their room, not even for exercise, a walk, an hour a day. Is, is it complete, as it were, lockdown for the 14 days? Yes, they have to stay in their room. Um, even the, the Australian Open tennis players had to stay in their rooms for 14 days. Um, now, the reason we've done that is there have been a number of instances where people did come out of their rooms at the same time and there were infections, both between the guests and from the guests to the staff. We've even had um, a case where... Two people in two rooms across the corridor open their doors at the same time to pick up their meals. In one room, there was a family of five who were all infected. And across the corridor was an uninfected woman. Well, she became infected because there was so much virus in that room with the family that it crossed the corridor and she became infected. And it's happened with staff when someone... Someone used a nebulizer in their room and then opened the door and the virus moved down the corridor in a kind of fog and infected a staff worker. So what they've done now is there are staggered meal delivery times and staggered laundry pickup times so that on any one floor, no more than one room has the door open at any one time. So it needs that attention to detail. I think the most recent lockdown, the five-day one, which occurred during the tennis, did that come from a ventilation issue? Yes, I think the, the report's not out yet, but I think everyone, um, including the health department, believes that that was the case of the gentleman using a nebulizer. He was an asthmatic in his room, and that spread the virus throughout his room uh, in very fine particles, now, hotel rooms are not designed for quarantine. They're not like hospitals. Mm. So there is something we call positive pressure. 
And so when he opened the door, the air moved out into the corridor because the windows were closed in his room and there may have been an air conditioning uh, unit pushing air out into the corridor. Um, and that's very hard to, to reverse, to, to make. If it was a hospital um, and there was a COVID patient in a room, there would be negative pressure. So it would be engineered so that when the door opened, the air from outside went in rather than the opposite. Another problem, as you would have seen in a hotel, is there are often air conditioning vents at the end of the mm. corridor. And that also pushes the air down the corridor. So all our hotels now are being um, assessed by engineers and uh, aerosol specialists, air quality specialists, to try and refit those hotels. Um, but beyond that, our state is looking at a, another option, and that's building a fit-for-purpose facility around about 60, 70 kilometres from Melbourne, where fortunately we have another international airport which could take international flights. And so this would comprise separate cabins with verandas and their own bathrooms, their own air conditioning units, and even kitchens. Um, and that would solve a lot of the problems we've experienced in modern high-rise um, central city hotels. It sounds like you're gearing up for the long haul there in the state of Victoria with COVID-19, despite the imminent arrival of vaccines. Are, are, by the way, are, there, are people being vaccinated yet in Australia? We started vaccinating yesterday. Um, it will take quite a long time. We're not in a hurry in Australia because at the moment we don't have any virus circulating in the community, zero. Um, so we can take our time. But eventually we want to reach what, what's called herd immunity so that we can gradually open our borders to overseas visitors and returning Australians. So in the meantime, we are you know, risk averse. So our state at least will go ahead and build one of these facilities, It'll probably take a month or two <coughs> to set up. Um, and that's basically a short term or midterm um, thing, you know, to get us through to the other end when we'll probably gradually have these travel bubbles We've got one with New Zealand, then the rest of the Pacific, maybe Taiwan, Singapore, etc. The system is very strict. The payback is, like you said, even the last scare, most recent scare now that affected the tennis, that's been dealt with. That's done now. Yes, it's done. There are no more transmissions, no more cases. All the cases were directly linked to the staff member who was infected in the hotel following the, the, the man who used the nebulizer. So it did not escape from that that's inner circle, inner ring of contacts. So I'm very fortunate. It was the so-called British variant, UK variant. Um, but we, you know, the, the contact tracing system here is, is excellent. Um, but we don't want to have them, you know, being called to, to work 24 hours a day you know, every week or so. Yeah. And we've had we've had a situation like this 
in every mainland capital city since November. So that's Adelaide, Sydney, Brisbane, Perth and mm. Melbourne. But they are dealt with quickly and efficiently and, and the source is found. And, and, and is it that quarantine enables you to do that, Professor? Yes. Well, for a start, all the quarantine staff, um, we, we know in advance their household contacts, that that information is gathered when they're employed. And so we can go to them very quickly and then find out the secondary contacts, so the contacts of, of, of them. Um, so it is quite you know, well set up. But you know, one of the, the reason that uh, we introduced daily testing of staff, including their days off, was because in a couple of cases, hotel staff did their last shift, they were tested, they were negative, then they went out for their days off and circulated, went to shops, went to gyms, went to other venues. Um, and then when they went back to work, they tested positive. So we missed that two or three days mm. of contact tracing. Now now that they get tested every day, um, you know, we, we, we've got more time to, to do that tracing. It comes up in, in discussions on this program, Professor, that it's not fair to lock healthy people up in an expensive hotel for two weeks. People talk about liberties and, and human rights. Is that taken into account or is it just a case of if you want to get into Australia, here's the deal? It's, it's the latter. We, we, you know, we feel that the, the, the liberties or freedoms issue apply to the greater community in Australia and that they have the right to be protected from people bringing in the virus from places like the US or the UK. Um, and, and that, you know, on balance, um, I think most human rights specialists agree with the system and feel that, you know, it is benefiting the greater population. We haven't had much pushback. And a couple of cities, a couple of people have actually escaped from their hotels. Uh, young people, one went to a nightclub. Um, we now have much stricter security. It's not private security, it's the police who guard the entrances to the hotel. Um, so I think the only pushback was from a couple of tennis players. And they complained at the beginning but then they stopped when they realised what people in Melbourne had gone through last winter. You know, it was a very bleak winter, 111 days, literally locked up in our homes. Curfew, you couldn't leave your house for more than an hour, you couldn't go more than five kilometres. It, it was a you know quite an ordeal. 800 people died. Um, so I think once the tennis players understood that, they... they you know, went along with the, with the system. And they also had some special privileges. If they had not been in contact with anyone who was infected, they could go out and practice for up to five hours a day. Um, they were escorted, of course, and they could only practice with one other player. Um, so they had privileges that, that others don't have. Mm-hmm. But again, the, the, the payback is that they were able to have a crowd at, at, the, at the tournament and, and, and the Grand Slam tournament went ahead like, like it should in, in normal times. Finally, Professor Toole, before we wrap up, uh, the government here is about to embark, as I said earlier, on a programme of mandatory quarantine. Could you give me briefly, maybe in one minute or minute and a half, the mistakes they must not make if they're to get this right? 
I think the key mistakes to avoid is um, contracting or subcontracting private security guards. I think all staff should be employed by a single agency that can be government or um, non-government. Um, the second is that all staff must be tested daily, including their days off. Thirdly, I, I, you know, I have to say it, but I think guests have to stay in their rooms for the entire stay. Um, in Melbourne, uh, people are not allowed to smoke either inside or outside their rooms, but they are provided medical support and given nicotine replacement therapy free of charge. Um, and I, I think we've learned there cannot be any exceptions to, to that rule. And I think everybody from wherever they come must quarantine or it won't work. That's, yes, that's a really big issue. Um, and the UK has seen the difficulty of separating uh, people from the green countries, from people from the red countries on arrival. And don't forget, they are sitting in the same planes, um, flying in from hubs like Dubai and Doha and New York. Um, so I, I think the safest option would be to quarantine everybody. Professor Toole, we envy the success and we envy the fact that you and Australia have your lives back. Thank you for your time with us this morning. Okay, thank you. Nice to speak to you. Professor Mike Toole talking to us from Melbourne about how they got it wrong and how we must not. And I just hope some of our leaders are listening to interviews like that. Let me go straight to City Hall, where David Joyce, Director of Operations at Cork City Council, has just come out of that meeting. David, it's a bad morning out there. Is it going to get worse before it gets better, do we know? Good morning. Morning, PJ. It was a, a much worse night than it is at present. Um, the, the flooding peaked overnight between about 4am 4 4 and 6am this morning and um, with very significant uh, road flooding across the city. Um, thank goodness no properties that we're aware of were affected, but there was significant road flooding across the city. That is beginning to recede as we speak, mm. but it will unfortunately be back again this evening. There is another river flooding event going to happen between 7 and 10 p.m. this evening. Now, there was water released from the dam yesterday, a huge amount, double the normal amount of water released for a few hours. has to be done with great care. Is that over now or will they have to release again? No, as I was saying, there, there's still a very significant rain event that is happening and will happen throughout today. So there was pulses of heavy rain coming in across the city and in across the dams. So that will lead to significant surface water flooding and localised flooding on roads across the city. But that is what has the impact in relation to this evening. The dams will start to fill up again. So we will be working with the ESB to monitor the dams and ensure that releases are matched to the river levels across the city. Now, are we lucky as regards tides on this occasion, David? We're actually in the middle of neap tides, so some of the lowest tides of the year are occurring as we speak. So there is no threat of tidal flooding in the next couple of days. It is purely from rain and from rivers is where we're going to get the flooding. That's uh, a let-off though, isn't it? I mean, we'd have been right, if we'd high tide, we'd be in right trouble. It is. It does mean that the rivers can um, empty faster into the in, into Cork Harbour and out into the the, the, the uh, Celtic Sea. So it is important that we do have uh, neap tides at present, but it is really a fluvial, um, which is rain, and yeah. a pluvial, which is river event. I suppose one final thing, PJ, is that uh, people may have noticed that in the last two hours, the wind has picked up significantly. Yes. 
and it is going, there is a yellow wind warning in place and that wind warning is lasting till mid-afternoon and we already have got reports of some trees down around the city. Not a large number, but there are some trees, so we would ask people to be very, very careful when they're out and about. There is going to be a lot of debris blowing around the city, unfortunately. What's the situation with sandbags, access to sandbags, gel bags, etc.? Yep. Cork City Council has made them available. They're available from either uh, Tremore Valley Park or for a drainage depot in Anglesey Terrace, and they've been available since 8am this morning. Okay, so the crucial time tonight between 7 and 10, that's what you're saying to us? For 7 and 10 for river flooding this evening, but all day long, we're in a bit of a lull at present. I'm looking out there, and while it's raining, it's not that heavy. There will be heavy bands of rain crossing the city all day, and that will lead to localised spot flooding on roads throughout the day. All right, listen, thank you for that. And if there are any updates, we'll come back to you. That's David Joyce, Director of Operations with Cork City Council. They've been meeting since 8am. He's just out of that meeting and taking our call live on the opinion line. It's at a bit of a lull right now. The worst of the flooding was between 4 and 6am. Slight lull in it now. The wind picking up which is going to cause additional problems. There's no issue with tides. That's a, that's a big relief. A neap tide is a very low tide. So we have the luxury at this stage of being able to use the river to drain the flood. So that's a big that's a, that's a huge let off I think for us but there is another danger of flooding between 7 and 10 this evening uh, 1850 715 996 the tree down on the back road between Kinsale and Halfway thanks Aileen for that at the corner of Capwell and Evergreen Road traffic lights out of order in the middle of all this thanks Finn uh, Adam is in Lazarda road between McCroom and Mill Street really really bad Please put on your lights and slow down and stay safe. Uh, thank you, Adam. Trees are down in College Wood Estate in Mallow. And I'll just have one last look at the Cork Safety Alerts Twitter page. They're reporting flooding on the R581. That's just up now. The R581 between Donnerail and Mallow. Um, they have pictures up on the McCroom Road in Mill Street. My goodness me. Look at the state of that. That's the McCroom Road in Mill Street. Very badly flooded at the moment. Tree down between Kinsale and Halfway. Road is blocked as a result. 1850-715-996. The Opinion Line on Courts 96FM. With Lehan Motors, leading the way for Toyota hybrids. The place to order your 211 Toyota. See lehanmotors.ie. The Cork's 96FM Giving for Living Radiothon is back. Our favourite fundraiser returns this May to raise money for Cork Cancer Services. We hope you'll include our Radiothon in your 2021 events calendar. There are many ways to play your part. Organise a virtual coffee break, a no-uniform day, or gather all those loose coins with our change collector boxes. Stay listening for more details on how to raise funds. The 2021 Giving for Living Radiothon, May 20th to 22nd. Only on Cork's 96FM. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award-winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now, 1850-715-996. On Cork's 96FM. 
If there's anything you see in your area that you think we should know about, please do let us know by any one of our platforms, Twitter or the text or WhatsApp, or indeed give us a call at 1850 You can hear the, the wind picking up. Not sure if you can hear it on your radios or on your phones or in the car, but that vibrating behind me is the wind attempting to come in the window of Studio One here, high up over the city in in Broadcasting House. But trust me, it won't get in. It won't get Listen, Ophelia didn't get in. So so this one won't. A few more trees coming, reports of trees being down. On Professor Mike Toole and how we must not get it wrong with regard to mandatory quarantine like they did in Melbourne. And bear in mind, Melbourne is a city of a population of about 5 million roughly the population of Ireland and they made a hames of it at the start and they ended up with a savage second wave they ended up in curfew lockdown, fines, you couldn't go out, just they ended up in what makes our lockdown look like a tea party because mandatory hotel quarantine went wrong so they're telling us don't make the mistakes that we made Paul says how could it be mandatory anyway if it's only for selected countries ain't that the truth? What Professor Toole said is, in their case, it's everybody except New Zealand. Because New Zealand has less COVID than they have, and they have none in the community. And when it gets into the community, it gets squashed like a little campfire. Uh, Kate says she'd love to have someone like that in government here. They'd never get elected, Kate. Remember, they don't elect you here for common sense and plain speaking. 1850. I just love the the Aussies, I have to say. I have a certain affection for for the Aussie bluntness. When I asked him about human rights, you know, we considered the human rights of the majority to be a bit more important. Yeah, so we do. Uh, It reminds me of the line from the Star Trek movie. I know where I'm going. Leave me alone. Star Trek 2, The Wrath of Khan. Do you remember that? Where Spock died. Uh, Yeah, I, I did. I cried like a baby. The needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few were his his second last words. Uh, the needs of the many, yeah. Adam's in Lazarda. Hey, Adam, how bad is it down oh, there, mate? Good morning. Well, I, I actually travelled back this morning in Mill Street, whole things. Not too bad at all. Mill yeah, Street it, is brutal, is it? It is absolutely horrendous, my man. No, that is no joke. Like, a boy from Mill Street, over Chrome. I was driving up there a while ago, I'd say about 10, 15 minutes ago, and there was after being a van being pulled out of the water. Right. Now, if a car goes through it, a car will be a boat. That's all I'd say. It won't yeah. be a car anymore. And whereabouts is that, Adam, for those of us who know that road? Yeah, so the, the, best, the best way to explain is, if you're coming over to Mill Street, heading from Macroom. Yes. So you're on the Mill, Mill Street Macroom Cross. Yes. So you're outside um, Lucy's Transport. Yes. There. Yeah, no, the um, place, yeah. R- r- right outside there on the bridge. Okay, that's a bad spot anyway, at the best of times. Absolutely, absolutely. Now, that, that whole road this morning when I come in was bad, but it was passable. Yeah. But in the last, in the last it's a half an hour to, to an hour even, right. it's impassable now. All right, thanks for that, Adam, and they pulled a van out of it. Thanks a million. That's that, you know that cross just outside Mill Street on the way back into McCroom. It's it's not the M50 at the best of times, like, but it's it's very bad this morning. Thanks to Adam for that. And if there's anything that you're seeing in your particular neck of the woods or corner of the river, do call us at 1850-715-996. I know we don't have a tidal flood to worry about, but all of that rain that is coming is coming down on land that is already saturated and rivers that are already f- swollen 
So it's going to lead to problems like it's got there on the way out of uh, Mill Street heading towards McCroom. Fascinating story in the courts yesterday. The case of Keith Flynn, aged 46, and his co-accused, his wife, I believe, Lindsay Clark, she's 37, she was sentenced to two years. Both are former solicitors, and they were like a Bonnie and Clyde couple. Uh, our senior news reporter, Fiona Corcoran, uh, is with me. This is a bizarre story, Fiona. Good morning. Good morning, PJ. It is indeed. It's the case of two former solicitors, Keith Flynn and Lindsay Clark, who were married to each other. And they had first come to court last year and had pleaded guilty to conspiracy charges. And um, yesterday they were both sentenced. Um, Keith Flynn was sentenced to four years in prison and Lindsay Clark was sentenced to two years in prison. And it was um, described in court as an identity factory, what they were doing. Now, what they were doing, PJ, was setting up fake accounts in banks and credit unions. They had set up fake accounts in Bank of Ireland, Ulster Bank, AIB um, and 19 credit unions. And they had also set up fake accounts for um, on post, but they hadn't actually um, gotten any loans from there yet. But what they were doing was using fake IDs to open up these accounts and subsequently get loans, personal loans um, and they wouldn't pay them back in totality. And this went on over a period of 18 months. And the financial institutions we heard were at a loss of almost €400,000. Um, so we heard that, uh, you know, that they had take they had gotten um, fake driving licenses online. They had fake passports. They had fake utility bills. And um, I think one of the most bizarre things of the case was that they, they got... Uh, PPS numbers from homeless people in Cork and they paid them um, money for these PPS numbers that they would use to effectively set up a fake identity and um, when Gardaí searched an apartment at Sunday's Well they discovered uh, wigs that and disguises that the couple had used any time they wanted to go into any of the financial institutions and they also um, there was a safe in that apartment and both um, the defendants had voluntarily handed over the key of that safe and almost 100 thousand euro was found in the safe and that money now will be redistributed to all of the financial institutions and uh, Judge Sean O'Donovan yesterday said uh, he paid tribute to the um, Bank of Ireland Financial Crime Unit who were the first people to uncover this yeah. scheme. How was and, it spotted? Um, they didn't uh, go into much detail about it in court yesterday. They just said that um, somebody had spotted an irregularity in one of the on a number of the accounts. But Noel Baker in today's Irish Examiner has a very detailed background account of this case, and he said that um, that the Irish Examiner understands that it was a spelling mistake um, on an account, and um, when they check. Um, a lot of the accounts they discovered this spelling mistake on a number of accounts and that's how it first came oh, to light crikey. and then they yeah, and then they contacted Gardaí and the guard the investigation was launched Brilliant. and um they uh, they were before judge Sean O'Donovan in the central or in the circuit criminal court yesterday and he said that with these kind of um fraud cases it would normally involve a member of staff who is working in a financial institution 
and they would have a breach of trust then the public and their employer but in this case he said that this was pure criminal activity and it was very elaborate very well thought out very well organized um and he said that you know he had to take that into account right. and he said that if there had been no mitigating factors in this case the sentence would have been eight years but because the couple had pleaded guilty and had been very cooperative with the guardi and they had no previous convictions. He reduced Keith Flynn's sentence to four years. Now, he has been in custody since last October, since the end of October. Let's be counted um, back, yeah. So it's backdated to that, yeah. And Lindsay Clark then um, was jailed yesterday for, for two years. Now, he said that the difference in the sentences was due to personal circumstances and we were not um, allowed to go into that but um, yeah the, so they are now serving those sentences in prison for this crime but yeah it was I think it was just the fact that it went on for so long they were former solicitors they were married they were you know they were well educated people Funny and tight, really yeah, Funny, exactly, yeah. Fascinating, yeah. fascinating story. Fiona, I'm going to leave it there because I need to go to Sean Defoe. Thank you very much. That's our senior news correspondent, Fiona Corcoran. The, the case of Bonnie and Clyde Corkstone, Bonnie and Clyde, Lindsay Clark and Keith Flynn. Lindsay Clark did have a brief dabble in local politics as well. She, I think she might have been a, a candidate way back in the day for, for Fine Gael in the local elections. She got nowhere, uh, but that's where you might know the name from. 185715996. Speaking of politics, I think we can expect Micheál Martin to come down the steps to the podium this evening. Uh, but what is he going to say? Political correspondent Sean Defoe joins me. Sean, good morning. Good morning. Good to talk to you again. So, will, will we get a podium announcement this evening? Yes, we should. Uh, Micheál Martin probably going to do a speech in around 6 o'clock and then followed by a press conference, basically, setting out what the, the next few weeks and months are going to look like. So what are they going to look at? Another month at least of where we are now, I think. Yes, so April 5th has become the new March the 5th and all the level five restrictions have been kicked out to then so there'll be a review just coming up to Easter basically as to where we go in April and where all the figures are. The only two big changes that are going to come in March are the schools and childcare. Childcare is going to return on a phased basis with the uh, ETI scheme uh, preschool starting from the 8th of March and the rest towards the end of the month towards the 27th being the target date and then in relation to schools you're going to see them over three dates. So the first is next Monday March the 1st and you're going to get Leaving search, junior infant, senior infant, first class, second class, all back. So about 330-odd thousand students back from next Monday. The next big date is March 15th, which is going to see the return of all other primary school students and then also fifth years in secondary school. And then for everyone else in secondary school, they're going to have to wait until after Easter, unfortunately. It's going to be April 12th before we see a full return. It's fair to say, Sean, that communications over the last few days and the last week or so has been a calamity. Even last night on Claire Bourne's programme, communications an absolute calamity how how is he going to how is he going to smooth that over it's kind of difficult to smooth that over when they've been leaking out bits and pieces and and speculatively talking between the Taoiseach, the, the Taunashta, the Health Minister, everyone seems to have a different view on what's going to open when, when, which is not only unhelpful, but I think extremely unfair to a lot of businesses and a lot of people who are out of work at the moment who are just wondering, look, can you give me a reasonable idea of when I might be back to work so that I might be able to plan, be it for, you know, I'm going to have to be on pandemic unemployment payment or whatever for another few months. That's going to be extended to June, by the way, as part of this meeting today, um, or just being able to, to keep things ticking over until you can get reopened. So, 
he's going to have to give a clear address. I think, to be fair to me, Hall Martin, his addresses have been relatively clear in the press conferences after, usually relatively inform- informative. The trouble is always the week leading up to them when everything starts to come out in a drip, a few kites get uh, flown, ministers have disagreements with each other, not only over the reopening, there, there could well be another row today at Cabinet, for example, where Housing Minister Darrell O'Brien very much wanted to get his sector back open and running uh, in all aspects and believes that there is a safe basis for doing so, but yeah. Neffet and other ministers not agreeing. So it's going to be hard for him to, to sweep all of that under the carpet. Now, Boris Johnson published a plan yesterday for Across the Water, which pretty much opens them up fully by the end of June. Um, now, he is getting some criticism this morning but for basing that on dates rather than on data. But at the same time, are we going to have a document this evening that we can read uh, with with at least a map of some kind as to when we can do things like leave our county? There will be a document. I don't think that map is going to be particularly informative, though. I was told it's going to be nothing like the UK map. They're not going to go on that date model and kind of become hostages to fortune, which I think Boris Johnson in a certain way has done, if none of those dates actually come to pass. So what you'll see is you'll see quite firm dates or what I just outlined, March and April. And after that, it's all going to be a little bit foggy. There will be an update to the vaccination timeline. So we might actually get a good idea when we're all going to get vaccinated. And you can kind of extrapolate from that when things might be able to be open, if we're all or the majority of the population has the job by midsummer, then things are suddenly looking more rosy. But there's certainly not going to be any clarity in terms of dates for a lot of those businesses. Wait, that are wait, where are we going with that? I mean, do we? a couple of weeks ago we had a list and you could look at the list and see roughly when you might get your vaccine. As That, that list has been torn up and binned now, hasn't it? Uh, pretty well, pretty much. Then uh, I think the politicians didn't come out with a list initially for all the reasons that I just talked about that they didn't really know in terms of supply. Then they bowed to the pressure, knowing that people want to know, uh, and then all that got thrown out of the window with supply. But the new roadmap that we seem to have is actually a lot more positive and maybe better than that initial list that we we thought at first, because based on all the supply coming to fore, and as we know, that's not a guaranteed thing, but it's certainly better than it was earlier in the year. We could be doing a million vaccinations a month by April, and that changes the picture very significantly because because then suddenly you have 3 million people vaccinated in the second quarter of the year up to the end of June. And you'd have to think that the vast majority of vulnerable people or people who would be particularly um, exposed to this virus would have got their job in that point. And then you have to make decisions, OK, do we reopen? What are, what's the impact of new variants? All that sort of thing. Mm. So the, the actual vaccination update is relatively positive. Realistically, though, apart from that, all we seem to be going to get this evening at whatever time he comes down to the podium, Sean, is as you were for another month. Pretty much in terms of all the other restrictions, the 5k limits, the meeting people um, outdoors, all that sort of stuff, um, it's going to be the same until April 5th and possibly even longer. I know the government was uh, kind of in ructions with itself when the newspaper interview came out last week with nine more weeks of lockdown with Michal Martin saying that these restrictions are going probably until the end of April. But that is realistic. That, that's where we are. The new variant means we're nothing near, uh, nowhere near what Neffert predicted. They said that by now we would be down to 200, 300 cases a day. That was their estimate in mid-January. Obviously, we're, we're nowhere near that and the variant is, is kind of being blamed as, as the real reason. They also want to see how schools uh, reopen because we know it can be done safely, but we're dealing with a different virus now than we were then and, and more, uh, one where that may well be more transmissible among younger people. So a lot is going to depend on how that goes, whether we see another spike uh, into whether this, this then drags on into May or, or beyond. Okay, Sean, thank you very much. As always, political correspondent Sean Defoe. So we'll get an announcement this evening from Michal Martin. There won't be a whole lot in it for most people. Just looking back at the, the, the British one, I, I was listening to it late last night, what Boris is saying, and he's saying pretty much everything will be open by the end of June. But he is putting a health warning on it, to be fair. Uh, this is dependent on a vaccine rollout. 
if the vaccine rollout continues at the pace it's going in the UK, then they'll be able to open up and and release. Uh, now, he is being criticised for dates instead of data. But his comeback on that is that if everything goes according to plan with the vaccines, those are the dates. So, you know, his, his, sometimes people look at Boris and they see a big foppish head of hair and, and they think of an oaf underneath that foppish head of hair. This is not going to go down well with a lot of people. He ain't no oaf. He not that like. He's a very educated man. Um, and he has said, this is our plan based on a vaccine program. Like, we don't even have that. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With Lehan Motors, leading the way for Toyota hybrids. The place to order your 211 Toyota. See lehanmotors.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Cork's 96FM. Quick reminder to you, Trevor Welsh back on 96FM.ie this coming Saturday for Premier League Live, which is exclusively powered by Talk Sport. Big lineup again for Trev and the team. Manchester City against West Ham at 12.30. West Brom v Brighton at 3. Leeds against Aston Villa at 5.30. Newcastle against Wolves at 8. All those live with Trevor on the app or online Saturday afternoon. The Premier League live online with Now TV. Stream all the action from Sky Sports on the Now TV Sky Sports Pass and listen Saturday on the Cork's 96FM app or 96FM.ie. couple of more of your traffic alerts for us this morning. Uh, the road from Massey Town to Ballinagree badly flooded on the bend just before the road work. Thanks, Geraldine. Avril says the manhole cover has lifted again at the bottom of Lehenamore Hill. Uh, it's down by Colso and on the left-hand side as you come up. Is that up again? That's always... Anytime there's a flood, that manhole comes up. Uh, of course, we're supposed to call them person holes these days now or personal access chains. It's a flipping manhole. Very bad flooding on the Rathmore to Mill Street Road at Bally Daly also. Uh, this morning, 1850-715-996, the number, the text to WhatsApp is 083-396-9696. The email, opinion at 96fm.ie. If you missed anything from our first hour this morning, don't forget the podcast will be ready in early afternoon. We put the link up first on Twitter, then it goes to all of the usual platforms. If you are subscribing, it'll be updated for you every day for free by mid-afternoon. So you can listen to us wherever you are, not just in Ireland, but across the world. Get our podcast every day. Is the, uh, yeah, the Carrigahan Strait Road, they're doing their level best to stop it getting flooded, but the Lee Fields are underwater, so I can't imagine the Strait Road is exactly dry. Uh, if anyone knows or is out around that area and can give us more accurate information, be delighted to hear from you at 1850-715-996. Are you spending too much? Have you gone bananas on online spending. Now, I'm not joking here. We've all done that. Uh, we've all sat there with the phone or sat at the laptop and, and bought something nice during lockdown to, to, to treat ourselves kind of thing. We bought a lot of stuff we needed as well. But be honest with me. Like, Have you gone through one site or other, not going to, what, Wish was there or, or Amazon or any other? Oh, that's nice. I'd like, well, look at that. That's only 15. I just... Yeah. Have you gone a bit mad like that? Have there been parcels arriving and you're going, oh, oh, God, did I actually buy that? Have you gone a little bit mad? 
Well, it seems that some people have gone a little bit mad with the spending to the point where it is a small little bit of a problem for them. And the prediction, there was a prediction made by experts of the level of money we'd be spending online by 2024. Well, here's the thing. We've gone over that limit or we've gone over that line during the lockdown. So we're already spending as much online as the experts said we would be spending in 2024. Now, some of it was obviously you had to buy the stuff and the only place to get it was online. But other things were luxury buys and additional buys. And it can become a problem. Psychologist Dr. Mally Coyle, a coin rather, joins me. Dr. Coyne, good morning to you. Good morning, PJ. How are you? Good, and uh, thank you for joining us. It, it can become a problem, and, and you, it can become a problem without you noticing. Absolutely. It's what we call emotional spending, which can become an issue. So really, it's, you know, you're feeling a, a strong emotion before you make a decision to spend. You're not really using your reasoning, your logic before you make a buying decision. You get an emotional high from, you know, get from buying the item. Uh, you might get an emotional high from seeing the delivery truck come and deliver. Um, and really, it's, it's the emotion is highly personal to you, and the real need for the item doesn't necessarily come into play. So sometimes it could be that it arrives and you leave it in the hallway and you don't even open the thing, or you open it and you don't use it, and it's, it's, it's beyond your kind of your means as well. So it's about how often you're doing something like that and whether the trigger is a strong emotion. We all in real time, if you like, we all buy stuff that we don't really need with money that we don't really have. But that's once in a while. This is becoming habitual for some people. Yeah, I mean, we have to think of how we're doing at the moment during COVID. I think you're right. You said in the intro there, we've all bought a few bits and pieces online just to kind of even the excitement of having something arrive for you, you know, because we can't get to the shop or me. I've bought, you know, bits and pieces for the kids here and there because, you know, I'm not able to get them anything otherwise. But this is, you know, where a strong emotion might kind of lead to that. So you might be feeling quite stressed. There might be issues in your relationship, stress at work, fear of COVID. You know, there's a lot of threat around us at the moment, the uncertainty about what are the, you know, what, what's happening now with the lockdown, how long more. We don't even know if kids are going back to school on Monday. So it's kind of like, do you know, there's a, there's a lot of stress out there. So you can understand why sometimes people manage their stress in certain ways and shock might be one of those ways but I suppose you kind of know that there's an issue when you're you're spending way beyond your means and also you might be feeling guilt or shame afterwards you might be feeling like why did I why did I get that I didn't need it and that it's like a habitual thing that becomes more of an issue yeah you, you could end up with a massive credit card bill at the end of it all Absolutely. And, you know, who, who wants that at the end of COVID? So, so, I mean, and, and also just to say the marketers, you know, I always was told if you don't make it in psychology, go into advertising. Like, literally, they are, you know, kind of like using those emotions. They know the emotions that you might be feeling. You know, you might want to keep up with the Joneses. You might, you know, feel this sense of fear or guilt or sadness or, you know, it's all about trust in a product, you know, belonging. And they are absolutely profiteering from that. And you know yourself probably if you've left a YouTube ad play for longer than a few seconds, you will get constant notifications over the days and weeks after that 
for that particular product, no matter what app you go into. Yeah. So, it's, it's actually you know. a little bit sinister. I, I, I bought a little gadget. I, I wanted to buy this particular gadget for a while and I, I caught it on, on special offer. In, yeah. in Amazon, so so I bought it, and yeah. and I'm very happy with it, and I might even buy another one in six months' time. But I am inundated, no matter what I open, with yeah. ads for the same gadget. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's sinister. That's that's the internet listening to us, and we don't get that. And if you're if you're vulnerable to overspend, that's exactly what you'll do. Exactly, and that's why I kind of say, and I use this little trick myself. You know, I might be like in work, and you know, I just you know I want a, a period of something to just look at during my lunch break and I might look at a nice scarf or something online, something that somebody has been wearing. You see, we're also very influenced by what we see on social media. Oh, that person has that thing, so I might want something like that. So leaving it in your shopping basket for 24 hours, for a couple of days, and then looking back at it and kind of wondering, is this a want or is this a need? Because sometimes you'll look back at your shopping basket a few days later and go, actually, I don't need those 10 books. Those two are the ones that I really, you know, I, I'm not going to read 10 books. So those are the two that I really want, or this is what I really would like, you know. And then for your gadget, you might kind of leave it there and then kind of do a bit more research on YouTube on what gadget is really the one you most want rather than the one that that seems like you know that they're, that they're advertising to you so it's about kind of the waiting period because that's when your reasoning brain can come back into action again because this this impulse buying is done without actually thinking mm. at what point dr Coyne, can you look at yourself in in the mirror and say okay i need to cop on here can you recognize certain dangers or moreover if someone in the house that you live with is spending can you recognize problems when does it become problematic I think it becomes problematic when there's a lot of emotions involved where you're not kind of using the the products that you're buying, that you're spending beyond your means, that it becomes this immediate, you're seeking immediate gratification all the time. And that there, you know, really, it's actually a sign of more of an underlying issue going on in your life. Um, you know, like we're all, many of us are struggling during, during this lockdown, but that this is an underlying issue, that you have this need to soothe yourself through shopping. And there might be other ways that you know people use other ways to soothe themselves using alcohol or whatever whatever it is for them but it kind of is it's indicative of more of an issue that you may need help with particularly if this is kind of like a repeated thing that you're not even using the stuff and you you just know you recognize by even listening to us today the difference between, yeah, I mean, sometimes I might just kind of buy two items on, you know, instead of buying one. But I kind of just know, you just know yourself if it's an issue or not. So it's about really the most important thing is to figure out what are your triggers when I shop. So even you could keep a spending diary of the last few weeks, say, or the next few weeks and go, when I shop, what do I, what have I bought in the last week or in the, you know, why have I bought it? How did I feel during and after? And was it a want or a need? Because they say with budgets that if we can spend 50% on needs, 30% on wants, and 20% on savings and have that bit of fun money, that's okay. Like, we're not trying to say you can't go and buy anything yeah. online, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just just be careful. Be yeah. careful of it because I think you, you believe that some people may need professional help when all this is over. Well, yeah. I mean, I... I, I 
yeah, I definitely think. I mean, the fact that I mean, online shopping is up anyway because that's the only way we can we can shop at the moment very often. But I think it's probably creating a problem for maybe for people who are at home and who the, you know it's the first thing they might look at. Oh, I wonder. And even even that whole social comparison, you know, looking online a lot. I think it's a good idea to maybe unsubscribe from those companies, you know, that that you you have subscribed to, to opt out of the advertisements, to delete any apps that might kind of increase your temptation being aware of your habits and delaying that gratification and don't save your credit card if you can on websites because then it's too easy to just press one button yes Yes. there's a very dangerous little little knack in uh, i think it's windows 10 Mm. where you can save a card into windows 10 and all you have to remember is the little three-digit code back of the card and you can buy a flipping house I know, yeah. <laughs> it's, 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 it dangerous. is dangerous. It is yeah. dangerous, yeah. yeah. Um, just before I let you go, Dr. Coyne, I know you have a book out and it's about um, anxious children and there are a lot of anxious children around at the moment. Tell me a bit about Love In, Love Out. Well, it's a book that I released last July 2020 and really the whole idea behind the book is you know, to, to help parents understand their child, a child can be anxious at any age and they can have a small bit of anxiety or they can have more. But the whole idea behind Love In, Love Out is the recognition by the parent that, you know, their child's anxiety can make them anxious or else they might be anxious in the first place too. So when parents are anxious, that can kind of make it difficult for them to react in the kind of in the most appropriate way or the most calming way with their child. So I'm really kind of looking at, you know, how does your your child's anxiety make you feel and how can you respond? And I, I use a really kind of like uh, an acronym that brings parents through those steps. And I think it's, it's, re- it's very relevant for the times that we live in because there's a lot of parents out there and kids out there that are experiencing higher levels of anxiety because of all the uncertainty. There's a little discussion has started on some of my social media in the last couple of days. And when I knew you were coming on, I said I'd ask you about it. And it's a kind of an argument that says, look, for the most part, and this is coming from a lot of parents who've raised children and the children are a bit older now. For the most part, the kids will be fine. Don't mm. be panicking about them. For the most part, they're going to be okay. Would you, would you go along with that? I would. I would. And I know the media, they love kind of stories like, oh, massive increase in mental health issues. Yes, there are children who have really struggled. And I, I usually think those were kids more likely with pre-existing struggles that became worse during the, the lockdowns for whatever reason. But I think for the most part, human beings will go back to school, to work, to their, you know, yes, things might look a bit different, but we will go back to a semblance of normality. And kids, you know, at the end of the day, resilience is about facing an unmanageable threat with a soothing presence by your side. This, for most people, is a manageable threat. And, you know, it's not a bad thing that children are learning and adults are learning a bit more how to cope with difficult situations. Who knew we would be, able, we would be here a year later? So I think, we, you know, we've done amazingly as, as a nation. And I think, we sh- you know, let's keep going. And we've, let's also look back at how well we've done up to now and what are the best, what are the tools that we've used and how, like, I think children are superheroes and I think parents are superheroes. And I think we all are out there for having managed. Yeah. This. If I could prevail upon you for, for another minute, Dr. Coyne, and, and maybe look at that, because, you know, we're all talking about, and it's been a constant diet now for, uh, for a year, and I 
people like me who work in the media, not only am I half of the problem, I can't get away from it myself yeah. a lot of the time. How do we, is, is there a, a case to be made for all of us, those of us who work close to it and those of us who don't work close to it at all, to set aside an hour of the day, which is a COVID-free zone every day? Oh, 100%. You mean for people who work in the media or work generally? Work in the media or just generally, everybody. Absolutely. I think, you know, Brendan Kelly is a psychiatrist that I, I, um, I did a Dublin Book Festival kind of event with him, and he talked about taking COVID holidays. So, you know, when you go to the shop, you know, or when you're out for your walk, or, you know, take, you know, you are a steward of your senses. I have actually stopped watching the news, the nine o'clock news, religiously uh, in the last few weeks. And also prime time, like just stuff was annoying me because my dad lives in Spain. I haven't seen him in the, in, since December 2019. He's 80. When I saw people coming home from Lanzarote and on their holidays, it was triggering me. So I knew then I have to stay away from this news and this and even and social media generally. Mm. I just needed a break for myself. And so now I'm just listening to what I have to listen to, be it on the radio, yeah. but I'm just watching Netflix at night instead. Because yeah. for me, for my mental health, I need to, to I, I, I just can't manage all this yeah. information. All right, and that's good advice for the rest of us. Thank you for your time this morning, Dr. Mally Coyne, a psychologist. Uh, and that's a COVID-free zone. I remember the last year during the first lockdown when the weather was nice. And it will be nice again in a few weeks' time. And we're going to be talking later on this morning about how the days are getting longer and the evenings and the mornings are getting nicer and brighter. And we'll talk about that later on this morning. But when the weather gets a little bit better, what saved me from going completely bonkers in the first lockdown last year was music. I, my, I've always loved music. I, I've loved music all my life. Um, I, you know, it's, it's a big part of my life. But, but music saved me brain from turning to mush in the last 12 months. Uh, definitely. 1850-715-996. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With Lehan Motors, leading the way for Toyota hybrids. The place to order your 211 Toyota. See lehanmotors.ie. Simon Murdoch and the best music mix. Weekdays from midday on Cork's 96FM. Let's see, a Ferrari, luxury apartment in New York, a villa in Ibiza. Oops, sorry, just listing out what I'm going to spend my Euro Millions win on. Let's fly through Tuesday afternoon together. I got the tunes for you. See you for midday on Corks 96 FM. This is Corks Gold Imro Award winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now, 1850 715 996. On Corks 96 FM. Yeah, thank you to Kim, was in touch with regard to Carrigahan Road. The Lee Fields totally flooded, but the cars can still move along. The straight road. I saw them inflating stuff yesterday down near the county hall. There was a video on Twitter of them inflating what looked like. Do you remember when you used to go to the, the Coliseum, to the bowling? And, and when they'd bring the kids, they used to put these buffers down into, yeah, the little inflatable, they put the, yeah. It looked like massive bowling buffers that they were putting up around, around county hall yesterday to keep the floodwaters out. The Lee Fields are underwater, just completely flooded and submerged, but cars still moving along the straight road as we speak. Quick mention for a good friend of the show, Avril Ronan from Trend Micro. She was in touch to let us know she has a free live webinar tonight for parents on gaming safely for kids.
Uh, it's, we've talked about this many times on the programme and uh, we know that our parents and parents of children watching the show or listening to the show rather, are passionate about this. So you can find more at internetsafety.trendmicro.com internetsafety.trendmicro.com I'll tell you about the things I was buying. I bought a little gadget. I bought a telly box. I bought one of these Android telly boxes. Fabulous joke call together. You put all the apps on it and you can watch Brilliant joke. But I, I must tell you about what I've had to stop buying. Um, take me, do not let me on wish.com with a couple of beers in me because it's, it's <laughs> never going to end well. I'll tell you about that a bit later on. 1850 Now, we've talked to the Debenham workers over the past year. It'll be one year on April the 9th, if I remember correctly, which would have been Holy Thursday. One year ago that they were told they were losing their jobs and they're still there and they're still protesting and they're still looking to government to help them to secure a better deal. Look, legally, the liquidator can do nothing for them and legally, they're pretty much in a bind. But their argument is that the government needs to step in and do something. If that necessitates a change in the law, then, then so be it. And look, you can agree or you can disagree with them. Uh, some people disagree, some people agree. And um, we will support the right of the small guy, the little guy, to have a voice on this program anytime he wants it. And there's 500 other people uh, facing into a similar possibility uh, to the mandate or to the uh, debitant workers. And they work for a company called Arcadia. And Arcadia is the company that owns Topshop and Wallace and Miss Selfridge all over the country. And there's about 500 workers and they're going jewelry isn't a gift you give just once it's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it blue nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price go to blue and experience the convenience of shopping blue nile the original online jeweler since 1999 that's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. ...to lose their jobs uh, following a meeting between the Mandate Trade Union and Deloitte, the liquidator. And again, we're looking at a tsunami of retail jobs being lost. And Katrina O'Connor, good morning. Good morning, PJ. Um, I, I'm sorry to say you're one of them. I am, unfortunately, yeah. After 15 years, our jobs are gone. Where were you working? Um, I was working in Darby Perkins um, on Patrick Street. We were in the shared site with Evans. Yes. So we were right in the heart of the city, yeah. Okay, now you're, you're, you're in a, a windy place because you're standing outside the shop because you and your colleagues have mounted a protest. We have this morning since 10 a.m. we're here. Uh, we've had a few flyaway signs already, but we're all right. Okay. And um, we're just we're standing in front of the shop to highlight the plight of retail workers at the moment. Yeah. Could you maybe get as close to to a little bit of shelter as you could, maybe? 
Um, yeah. Is that better? That's an awful lot better. Thank you so much, Katrina. Talk to me about the people you've been working with for the last 15 years. It's family, isn't it? It is all completely family. I mean, we've gone through every stage of life together. Um, there's people inside there 19, 20, 21, 30 years even. Um, so we've experienced all the highs and lows of life. You know, we're like a family. You know, we're best friends. And, you know, it's so sad knowing that when lockdown is over, we're not going back in there. Um, and on top of everything else, you know, to now not be getting our, our agreed redundancy package yeah. on top of that is just so sad. How did you find out you were losing your jobs? Uh, we went into, the company went into liquidation on the 30th of November. Right. Um, so... It was just as we were reopening the store um, after the second lockdown and we heard on Sky News that the company was in trouble and gone into liquidation, but we didn't hear from the company till 10pm that night uh, for confirmation so that it was true. effectively you heard about your jobs on Sky News? On Sky News, yeah. Yeah. So you're in the same position now really, Katrina, as, as Val and her colleagues at Debrams were a year, a, a, a year ago almost. <laughs> Um, yeah, exact same position, yeah. And to be fair, we have some of the Devlin's workers with us today. You know, they're completely supporting us. And, you know, we just feel like we all need to stand together now. Yeah, yeah. Like, we've been over this and over this and over this. I guess with, with, with liquidators, liquidators are, are, are always very much forced to operate within the law. And the law dictates very clearly to the liquidator who gets money and who doesn't. And, and, and as workers, you're way, way down the list. And that, Debenhams have been dealing with it for a year. Do you think you've got any hope of getting what you want? Well, we hope so. I mean, something has to change, PJ. You know, something has to change with the law and with the process for liquidation in this company. You know, the government has to step in. They have to put something in legislation, you know, as a support for workers when this happens. Mm. Um, no, I mean, if it's if it's not going to change anything for us, then, you know, we accept that. But it might change something for someone yeah. because we're not going to be the last companies this happens to. No, and you're strongly unionised uh, through, through mandate. And, and the, a bit like with Debenhams, Debenhams had a, a, an agreement in place from 2016 with regard to redundancy. Was there one there for you guys as well? Yes, it was the same. Um, it was the same agreement we had. We all balloted at the same time through mandate. So we all had the same agreement of two plus two. So two, two weeks statutory redundancy and two weeks then from the company. And is that gone now? That's, yeah, we're not getting that. Yeah. We're getting just the statutory. Just the statutory. Yeah. It's a horrible old morning to be to be starting. A, a it is, yeah. It's just our luck now. The weather's not on our side today. I mean, you've seen, you've seen, and, and to be fair to them, they, they, they show no intention of, of walking off the pitch here. And I think, are you guys in it for the long haul as well, if necessary? Well, I mean, at the moment now, we're just kind of starting our journey, but we haven't made any decisions yet as to, you know, what our schedule is going to be. I think when when lockdown lifts and, and the stores in the city open, we probably will do more. Um, at the moment, you know, I think we all have kids homeschooling and stuff, so it's kind of tough. Um, but we will be doing something. I mean, we're going to make our voices heard as much as we can and we're going to add our voices to the Debenhams workers and hopefully there will be a change. Yeah. Here's a caller on the phone who says all over the world, and obviously this person sympathises, but all over the world, workers are being laid off um, 
through this pandemic. Why do you think the law is going to be or should be changed for you? Unfortunately, there's a lot more of this coming and the budget has to, or the government has to budget for rising unemployment levels and pensions and all of this. So realistically, where's the, where's the government going to find money or what's it going to do? I, I'm not sure, PJ, to be honest. Mm. I mean, I just think with the process of liquidation, as you said, you know, the, the, the employees are the last to be thought about. Yeah. And, you know, when it comes to a business, you know, the retail workers are the ones on the front line. They're the ones there every day keeping it running. And if you can't respect your workers and you can't think about them and have something in place to protect them under those sort of situations, then who is going to protect us? Mm. Yeah. You used to call it births, marriages and debts. Tell me about that. <laughs> yeah, births, debts and marriages. That's our nickname for the place, you know, because we've all gone through everything inside there. We've been at each other's weddings and christenings and you know, I started when I was 18, just after my leaving cert. And, you know, I went in there as a baby and I came out a mammy. Um, mm. So we're all really close and we've yeah. all been there for each other through everything. And, yeah. you know, it's, it is a family, definitely. Yeah. yeah. And as I say before, I mean, look, we've, we've been over this and over this and over this and we've teased everything out. And unfortunately, it seems legally hopeless, but you'll always have a voice on this programme, as did the Debenhams workers for the last 12 months. If there's something you want to say, we are hoping that we will be able to be facilitated by the Taoiseach's office this week for an interview with Michal Martin. We, 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 we have a request in. If you could speak directly to him, what would you say? I would say, you know, when Cleary closed in 2015, you know, we people of this country were promised, you know, that there would be a legislation in place for retail workers. And, you know, you fast forward five years to March of 2020 and it happened to Debenhams. Now it's happened to the Arcadia workers. Nothing has changed. And the attitude of government right now in terms of our situation and the Debenhams situation is that, you know, it's an English company. It's, it's not their problem. But we're the Irish staff and we've been working in Ireland and paying our taxes in Ireland, you know, throughout our working careers. And I think, you know, it is their job to think about us. Mm. Are you suggesting that maybe the government should look, should should use taxpayers' money? Because a lot of people wouldn't like that either. Well, I mean, we've paid our tax too, PJ. You know, we haven't been, we're not asking for anything for free. You know what I mean? It's it's to honour the agreement that we have worked for. You know, we've put our hours in for that agreement. Yeah. You know, we're not asking for a handout. We're asking for what we're owed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it is exactly what the debitums and workers have said from, from, from day one. Going to leave it there with you for today, Katrina. I have no doubt that we will speak again. And thank you. And uh, I'm, I'm sorry for your troubles, as it were, for all of you. Uh, who are going through this because it's hard and it's very hard and there's going to be more. There's going to be more. That's Katrina O'Connor works for uh, Arcadia, uh, the company that owns many, many shops, uh, Dorothy Perkins and Evans's and all of those and she's been there for years and years and years and Top Shop is affected and Wallace's and Miss Selfridge and Top Man and all of those. Now there is a, a, a retailer, ASOS, the online ASOS or ASOS, they're in talks to buy Arcadia but they might just go online then. Um, but and for those of you who will be given out now about me um, talking to Debenham workers and talking to Arcadia workers and whatever as I said before this show is a voice for the little guy we may be not able to do anything for him or her but they'll always have a voice here 1850 715 996 quick mention for 
a friend of the show and an old friend of mine and Fergal's going back many, many years. That is Anne Furlong, who has what they call a roundy birthday today. Should we mention the first part of the roundy birthday? Eugene reckons we should. I don't know. All right, she joins the Half Century Club. Happy birthday, Anne. A good observation here, given the situation with the Neap tide, which is a very low tide. <laughs> a lot of good a tidal barrier would do today. Just let the OPW get on with the flood defences. That could open a whole can of worms. But such is is. Becky, good morning to you. How are you, Becky Hines? Morning, PJ. How old are you, Becky Hines? Thirteen. And you you delivered two calves at the weekend. Yeah. My goodness me. First time? Yeah. yeah. I've delivered single ones before, but not twins. Oh, I see. When, what, how old are you when you delivered your first calf? Probably 11, probably 12. 12. And, and tell me, was there no one with you? Was it just you and the co Yeah, well, my older sister was there just in case anything happened. But yeah, I was doing it with the cow. Wow. And, and what's involved, if you don't mind um, me asking, because I've never done it? Well, normally the first one comes fine and then... Like, when the second one's coming, you have to, like, make sure it's coming right because it could be going backwards. Yeah. And if you don't get them out fast enough, they mightn't end well. Yes. And if it was backwards, what would you do then? Uh, You'd have to jack it out. What does that mean? You, like, put ropes on the legs and you pull it out as fast as you can. Oh, really? Yeah. And how do you get the ropes on the legs? Then you have to put your hand in and... Wow. Crikey. At 13... Yeah. And had you had you trouble with the second calf this weekend? No. No. It was coming fine. Very good. Very good. Put me on to your dad there, Becky. Well done to you. Thanks. Put me on to your Thanks, dad. Thanks, PJ. Delighted to talk to you. Good morning, PJ. Hi, Peter. She's some bit of stuff. Oh, Anthony's a great kid. Uh, we'd be last without her, last without the three girls. No, they're a great help, uh, especially the busy time of the year. Yeah. Yeah, I remember reading many years ago books by a man called James Herriot. Uh, you may have heard of him. And he was a vet in Yorkshire and he wrote about the, the, the calving of twin calves. And he wrote about people getting their arms caught and wrists broken and all of that. And I'm thinking, that's dangerous work, like. It's brave work yeah. for your 13-year-old. Yeah, I suppose, look, we'd probably have better facilities uh, now. But, uh, yeah, James Herriot was uh, an inspiring guy. I can remember reading all his books as a young fella and uh, I suppose it gave, probably gave me a bit of passion for the job I have now. But, um, yeah, no, she's great. Like, and she's, I suppose she's, she's meant to herd the cows by herself and uh, well capable of managing the farm. And I think, you know, you, you know yourself, PJ, you've a daughter doing veterinary and it's... Yeah. It's just nice to see them with a passion for, oh, absolutely. for animals and uh, looking after animals at that age. And uh, it's a great career to be involved in. Yeah, it's it's fantastic. Do, do you think that she'll pursue it or will it just be something that she does on the side? Do you think she, you've got a young farmer in the making there? Oh, I think she'll definitely pursue it. She has, uh, she has a list of uh, offers and opportunities to travel to farms in the UK and... Uh, New Zealand and Australia and Canada. So, uh, really? Already? Yeah, there was, a, there was a, a woman over in uh, the UK at the weekend, so as soon as she's doing um, transition year, send her over for a few weeks, love to have her on the farm, and 
a few a few offers like that in the UK, so I think it's probably something we'd be keen as if she does do transition year, she'd probably spend more time doing work experience and just learning from others and seeing how different farms operate around the world because it's uh, I think that's one of the big things in farming is that young young people they need to get out and travel to and see a, see a bit of the world because once you're once you're at home you're kind of anchored there. Yeah, you're not exactly an oldie yourself, Peter, but still, you know, mentoring the young generation is brilliant. Oh, I think it's 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 vital. Look, I mean, it, you know, it's a phenomenal industry where we have, and Ireland is very much. I suppose known for family farms, and it's about encouraging the young young generation and letting them gain experience and letting them know that look, you, you can't necessarily make mistakes. You, if something doesn't go hundred percent right, you learn from it and, and and move on. And unfortunately, things don't always go right on farms, but it's about enjoying the good days too. And I think, uh, even just to see the smile on Betty's face on Sunday when she. And a set of twin calves on the ground, and she knew, yeah, I did it's this lovely. for myself. Now it was, uh, I didn't need to ring dad or mum to to roll. Fantastic, absolutely fantastic. Molnohoiga August Chucking Sheet, and in fairness, uh, in in fairness, she, she really is setting out on a great start. Peter, thank you very much for taking our call today. Peter Hines, good friend of the Opinion Line, and his daughter Becky, who delivered her first set of twin Hereford calves at the weekend, thirteen years of age. The farming world is her oyster. And so it should be. 185715996. I mentioned last week that something that makes me happy at the moment is to see the mornings getting brighter and better. And yesterday morning, I, I got the bus in and I walked up through the city, up to work, and the, the sun was coming up as I was coming in. And it's just such a lovely, lovely buzz. The day is getting longer by a set amount and the evening is getting longer by a set amount. And maybe we should look into the science of that and figure out why it's happening and why it makes us feel so good. On a dry, clear morning, over the next few weeks, you'll see a little stretch every morning, as well as the grand stretch in the evening. There's a little stretch every morning until we reach the equinox in 33 days' time, the 28th of March, which is around the time that the clocks go forward. But there's a whole science to this, and it's based on the movement of the planets, and the movement of, of us, rather than the, the, the sun, because the sun doesn't move, we move, and the moon, and all of that. Let us catch up with our good friend Francis McCarthy, who is the Education and Outreach Officer at the Munster Technological University Blackrock Castle Observatory, which is a big mouthful. Morning, Francis. Good morning. I was just saying how much I love the bright light coming oh, in, the, in the morning. We're so getting what? Three or four more minutes a day, is that it? Yeah, yeah. So the maximum increase is, as you said, around the equinoxes, is a little over four minutes right. every day. And if you just think roughly two in the morning, roughly two in the evening, what a difference it makes. I mean, you wouldn't think two minutes is much, mm. but I can multiply it out. Mm. All right, in a week, seven times two, that's 14. I can round that to 15. Whoa, I got 15 minutes more. So in another week or so, yeah. it will be bright or starting to get bright. We'll see that first lovely splink of morning light before seven. Yeah, because if you go 15 minutes a week, roughly four weeks in a month, you've got an hour, an hour every month. Mm-hmm. Doesn't that just kick in? And Now, of course, we mess this up by changing our clocks. <laughs> I was going right, to get to that. Which throws everything out. So you, you think you're getting the hang of it and all of a sudden we all agree to turn our clocks to a different time. Yeah. 
And then you're going, what? What am I doing? <laughs> so let's get down to the science yeah. of it. How does this happen, this wonderful, wonderful thing that makes you feel good about yourself again? Yeah. How well, does it happen? We would have the option if our planet, our Earth, as it is spinning around on its axis, which gives us day and night, it is also doing laps of the sun. So every lap of the sun, you get a cake and you celebrate and you go, whoa, another trip around the sun. It's your birthday. That happens every year. While we're spinning and lapping the sun, we're tilted over a wee little bit. If we weren't tilted, if we were straight up and down compared to our lapping of the sun, then every day would be the same length as every other day. Mm. But we're tilted over. So when we're on the bit of the planet, the northern part, which is where we are, when that's tilted away from the sun, we go, oh, it's winter. And that gives us the long nights, which are great for astronomy, and the short days. Mm -hmm. But we keep moving. And the tilt is in the same direction of space all the time. So as we do our lap of the sun, that tilt is less away from the sun, less away from the sun, until at the equinox, we're kind of sideways to the sun, if that kind of makes sense. Yeah. And then we move into the summer, and we're tilted towards the sun. So every time we turn around, we get into the sunlight earlier, Mm. we stay in it for longer, because we're tilted towards it, and then we're away from the sunlight nighttime for a much shorter time. And this is why, if you were to be able to track it every day, say, from Mm -hmm. the the morning now when we'll be able to see it in another week or so, be able to see the light before seven. If you were able to track it, you'll find that the sun is in a different place every day. And some people never quite realize it. I suppose they've never had a commute or a trip where one week of the year the sun hits them right in the face Mm. as they're going to work. I had a commute like that once, and there was one week when you'd go over this little rise and the sun would be right at you and you'd go, oh, just give me a week to get out of this. Because yeah. <laughs> right. a week later, the sun will be in a different position at that same time of day because it will already have risen and it will have risen from a different place on the horizon. Rising in the east and setting in the west. I mean, ish. okay, ish, ish. exactly. Because I, I observed something last year, Francis, in, 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 in my own garden, mm. which is south-facing. I noticed that I wasn't getting as much evening sun as I had in, previ- in previous summers. Because it probably summers. had moved around the building or behind a tree. Yeah, but it had get- gone behind a tree that it didn't go behind a year or two ago. Like, well, is it playing games with me or what? Well, your tree's probably grown. Okay. Yeah, I love it because I, my house faces, um, it's a north-south house. So one end is facing south, one end is facing yeah. north. So the bushes on the north side don't get a lot of light. But in the middle of summer, that evening sun lights them up. And I'm like, oh, you lovely little bushes. Look what you've got, a bit of sunlight. Yeah. Now talk to me about the moving of the clocks, which is in oh, 33 days' time. Don't even get me started on okay. the moving of the clocks. T- okay, tell me why I'll we shouldn't do it. Okay. The middle of our day is not at 12 noon. Okay, you might say, oh, it's noon, it's midday. Uh, No, it isn't. We share the same time zone as a fair swathe of the planet. So for convenience, everybody in our little patch of the world has the same clock. We've mechanical clocks and they say, look, it's, you know, it's exactly 10.55 and we all agree. But the sun is shining on us slightly differently. 
So that will affect our time of sunrise and time of sunset. So sunrise in Dublin is earlier than sunrise in Cork, which is earlier than sunrise in Kerry. But we all agree that it's 10.55 in the morning and we all have slightly different sun. So our midday is roughly 12.30. Okay. When we change our clocks in the summer, it's one thirty, and we have as much daytime before it as after it. Yes. So our evening light is great. It's amazing. All of a sudden, whoa, look, the it's evening got an extra hour, yeah. Yeah. but we lose it off the morning. Yeah. If we go to that all year round, if we stop changing the clocks, Mm-hmm. That means in the winter, yes. the middle of the day will be one thirty, yeah. with as much sunlight before it as after it, and there's only eight hours in the middle of the yeah, winter. Yeah, it, it would be, would it not? And this is the, the isn't it this the argument? It nine thirty in the morning. Yeah, this is the argument for staying back, isn't oh, it? We we are the only country whose whose national time is a daylight savings time. Right. Our national time is Irish Standard Time, and that is our summer time. Right. So we're GMT, Greenwich Mean, in the winter, and we're Irish Standard Time in the summer, right. which goes back to 1916. Yeah. Our, so this, our time zone comes back from 1916, when it was agreed we're going to be this particular time over the whole country. And it was set by Dunsink, which has a, a meridian room that determines when the sun is due south, and yeah. that was the time. But if we go to that year-round, in the winter... for the sunrise. And that's what they're talking about, isn't it? Staying in the summertime. Well, everybody was asked which would they rather have, and I think people misunderstood the question and said, I love the summer, rather than I'd like to have a bit of morning light in the winter. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. The the review went in, people were asked their opinions, and I think it's... um, Somewhere stuck within government systems. I think anybody, anybody with any understanding of science will tell you, stay where we are right now, stay with GMT, because you don't want it to be dark at half nine in the morning when kids are trying to go to school in December. That's I you. don't think so. I mean, I know that it's a bit silly to have it bright at around three in the morning in the summer. Mm. But I'll live with that. Yeah, so would I. <laughs> So would I. Francis, listen, always a pleasure to speak with you. And, and we're, I, I love this time of year, and I think lots of other people do oh, too. Oh, isn't it great? The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Courts 96 FM. Thank you to Michael, who just sent me a DM on Twitter, just as a follow-up to my conversation with Francis in BlackRock about the changing of the sunrises uh, in the next couple of weeks or so. Sunrise is a different thing to when you first see sun in the sky, by the way. Sunrise, like this morning, sunrise this morning was was half past seven or 28 minutes to eight. But you could see sun in the sky, see light in the sky just shortly after seven. Thank you very much for that. So tomorrow, it'll be just bang on seven o'clock, 7.30. In a week's time, in a week's time, sunrise will be at... 17 minutes past 7, which means we'll see light before 7. In a fortnight, 
it'll be at 7 o'clock, which means we'll see light around half 6. So really are going to get lovely bright mornings over the next couple of weeks. Thank you for that one, Michael, as a follow-on to my conversation with Francis. Good morning, 185715996, the number to call, the text to WhatsApp, 083-396-9696. The email, opinion at 96fm.ie. If you missed anything in the first couple of hours of the show, remember you get the podcast in the afternoon. We'll have the link tweeted just maybe between 2 and 3 in the afternoon and then it goes from there to all of our platforms in turn including the Cork's 96FM app and if you are a subscriber it's updated for you every day and it's a complete and total freebie we charge you nothing for it some places charge for their podcast material we don't 1850-715-996 with all of the talk about plans uh, and what Boris is doing in the UK which by the way is that that is uh, dependent on their vaccine rollout going according to plan um, which is important to point out they reckon they'll have everything open or he says all going according to plan with vaccination he'll have everything open by the end of June we really can see nothing beyond the next four weeks talking to Sean Defoe Earlier this morning, political correspondent, we will get a speech from Michal Martin this evening, which will tell us pretty much that for the next four weeks up until the next four or five weeks up until Easter Monday, it is as you were, with some exceptions for schools and creches and childcare. But there will be nothing beyond that. Five kilometre stays in place, everything stays closed. And that's that for the next four to five weeks. And really, we won't get much more, if we get anything, on what happens thereafter. But Paul Trevode, a regular guest on this show, tweeted yesterday, and the tweet has gone demented, that he was opening his restaurant on the 1st of July, no matter what. Paul, good morning. How are you, sir? I'm all right. I might suggest, Paul... That it's a nice safe date to pick because if we can't open restaurants by the first of July, so we're banjaxed altogether. Yeah, and I mean the tweet, as you said, went it's nuts. It's over 1.5 million of a reach at the moment and, and growing, and incredible amount of support from some very uh, well-known people, uh, doctors, nurses, solicitors, lawyers, uh, human rights activists. It's incredible. It's absolutely incredible. Olympians. It's incredible to reach that they're going to. Uh, now there's always going to be one or two saying, "Oh, we should look if you know if you had any neck, you'd open up today." But what's very important is that I write down in the tweet, "I'm not an anti-vaxxer, I'm not a COVID denier, I'm nothing at all like that." I 100% agree with you know that, that that we have a virus, we have a pandemic. I sympathise with every single person that's lost anybody to it, without a shadow of a doubt. However, it's come to the point where we must also really, really acknowledge, and it's tough to say, but we must really acknowledge that there's a far bigger picture here now at stake. And the reason why I picked the 1st of July was because last year we got to open pretty much the 1st of July. Mm. And in rural Ireland, a seasonal town like Killarney, if we don't get to trade for July and August, that's it. It doesn't matter if they let us open in November. There's nobody around Killarney in November. And the bigger picture here is, PJ, and the best analogy I can use is like that, the the virus is like a tsunami and all we're looking at is the wave and all we're worrying about is stopping the wave. Nobody has thought about what happens when the wave comes in and goes out and we reveal the exact disaster that is left behind. And that's where we are at now at the moment. And by me making such a statement, I even said, look, I don't care if I'm arrested. I obviously don't want to be arrested. Mm. But if I had to make some sort of a comment like that to get the media attention that I've gotten, we cannot, we 
can we can no longer forget the fact that people are suffering on a huge scale and this has to be taken into account. So I, my tweet was basically saying to the government, here's four months, guys. If you can't figure and sort this stuff out within four months, you are clearly not the people to be running this country. Now, you'd so, have to it, agree, would you not, Paul, that you know every government in the world has had to look and look again at how it does stuff. Only talking this morning uh, to the professor in Melbourne about mandatory quarantine. They made a bags of it the first time. They had to rewrite it. So mistakes, they're not the only government to make mistakes. A hundred percent. And look, this was new for everybody. Absolutely. And I don't think that the government are genuinely making these mistakes on purpose. I don't for a second think that they're doing it to try and cripple small businesses. However, their actions are crippling the small businesses. Yeah, and you totally, is, I, that, is, that is the thing. And you see a lot of fellas and they usually have a yellow smiley face as, as their avatar and numbers instead of a name. And, and they desecrate yeah. the Irish flag by putting it on their, on their Twitter. You don't believe in any of this nonsense about this is only a, a move to shut down small business and take no, over globalism. Not, not at all. I, I don't think the vaccine is going to let Bill Gates know when you're going to the toilet. I don't believe in any of that kind of stuff. And I always make that very clear. And even when I get these guys on to it, I say, look, lads, I, I've no interest in that kind of support. I, I don't believe in that at all. I'm a realist. I'm a businessman. I'm somebody who's looking six months down the line, 12 months down the line, not just today. And there's so many mistakes that are made, PJ, that can be easily fixed, that they can't be forgiven with. And their number one biggest mistake that there is no forgiveness for is their communication. How they are delivering the messages, the leaks that are coming out, the deliberate interviews at 10 o'clock at night, 9 o'clock in the morning on a radio station with no disrespect, that doesn't have a huge amount of followers, but now the message is out. And it's just they don't realise the consequences of what they are saying to the people of this country. We are broken. I have never in my life, you know me, I'm the most upbeat person mm. on the planet. And I'm going to fight tooth and nail to get to the end of this without a shadow of a doubt. I have an obligation to my family, my brother's family, my staff that are there and their families. I have an obligation to all of these to make sure, because I'm the captain of my ship and I'm going to make sure it doesn't sink. But I have never seen so many people that I know that are broken, that have called me and went, I'm hanging up the boots. I can't go any further. I can't do this anymore. I don't know when I'm going to be able to reopen. Yeah. I'm seeing X, Y, Z happening behind. I'm being told to do A, B, and C. I'm doing it. We are all, we're social distancing. We're staying at home. We're doing everything they tell us to do. And then on behind the scenes, you go, oh, for God's sake, lad, seriously, how many, how many thousands have you just got in from a hotspot? There's no mandatory quarantining there. So well, well what must be driving you demented? And as I said, I don't know if you heard the, the, the conversation I had earlier on with the professor in, in Melbourne. I think we maybe podcast extra that because he went through, for me, in a good 15-minute conversation, the mistakes they made in Melbourne and the mistakes they must not make here. One of them is do it quickly. Second one is do not use private security, which we're going to do. No, yeah. But we, we, we don't, and, and then everybody, not just a few countries, which is what we have. So, And we're also three or four weeks away from anybody being taken to a hotel. That's driving people crackers. If, if we had another issue like we had in 2007-8 with a world global crash, we could pass legislation tomorrow. How do we know that? Because that's exactly what they did in the last, in the, in the last recession. But we can't pass this. The easiest thing in the world to do as a leader is to make a decision. The hardest thing is to get the right decision. And we have no decision. So Boris Johnson, in fairness to him, he could be completely wrong. In four weeks' time, we could be all looking at massive surge of numbers again over in the UK. But as a leader, I've got to take my hat off him, he's made a call. Now, I don't know if it's the right one, time will tell. But he's had the balls to make that call. We're hearing 
day in, day out. We'll be back to you in a week, lads. We've set up another subcommittee. There's a subcommittee to answer to that subcommittee. We just need another few more days to make it, you know, to see what we're doing here, lads. And all of a sudden it's leaked at nine o'clock on, in the morning on a, on, a, on a small radio station. And that's, they, they have to understand how much this is killing the Irish people. They have to understand how much this is keeping us down, frustrating us. How, I'm the most law-abiding citizen out there, but I can't, I'm looking at this going, Come on, guys, seriously. I can't go through another six months of this not knowing. We'll get back to you in midsummer. That's what we're told. There's mm. no decision on hospitality until midsummer. Well, I, I saw how you rearranged your restaurant last summer, Paul, because, because I yeah. was down pretty much as soon as you opened. I was down. And, yeah. and you, you rearranged everything. You cut your numbers. Did, did you have any cases out of your restaurant? Zero. Absolutely yeah. nothing. Now, that doesn't I, mean that no one, by the way, came in who was infected and not symptomatic. 100%. 100%. I mean, what's very frustrating is, is, is now we've pitched, our base pitch, whatever way you want to think, us against ourselves. So, and we can listen to the narrative of science that suits their narrative, but we can't come up with science that we go, but actually, lads, hang on a second. We did this last year in Killarney. Every town around the country did it. Of course, there was a few people who went and, and took the proverbial and, and packed their bars till four o'clock in the morning. But if you shoot somebody and kill them tomorrow, PJ, we're not arresting all your family. So why are we not in a position to turn around and go, look, guys, you do it right, you have nothing to worry about. Yeah. If you do this and if you pack out your bar, if you pack out your restaurant, we're taking your license off you and you'll never serve again. Full stop. It's gotten to that point where we now must reward the people who are doing things right because we're just penalizing them. And the so- PJ, I'm looking at my kids. They can't go out and kick a ball with their mates. They can't do anything. And they're brilliant. They're being fantastic about it. As every kid in the country, and they'll probably recover much quicker than we will. Our heads will probably be fried a lot sooner than these guys will be. But, I mean, you can't do X, Y, Z outdoor. I can't look at another politician or somebody outdoor walking around a metre or two metres away from somebody else and go, come on, you tell telling me we can't do non-contact, non-contact sport for kids? you tell telling me we can't let them go into a field? Even if it's just two of them, kick a ball from here to there, you tell telling me we can't do that? Mm. And at some stage, we have to acknowledge that this is doing more. There's far bigger picture. It's a volcano erupting behind us while we're trying to put out the fire of COVID in front of us. When this mm. is done and we turn around, we're going to go, I didn't realise all this damage is taking place. You, you know the, you know the whole argument, because you've been following it, Paul, about, about zero COVID and, and we could be zero. And, and the argument yeah. is made repeatedly that last summer in Cork and in Kerry, we were... And and that Kerry, to be fair to you guys, much as it sticks in our craw to say it, you're winning at the I'm moment. I'm a dog, so you're all right. I know you are. <laughs> we're 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 almost. You're almost there at at but this PJ, stage. So how do you feel about regional regional zones where Cork and Kerry could do business? And if you've got a problem in another part of the country, you fo- focus all the resources on there. So here's, here's the narrative of science that I was saying about. And the whole we can be zero. Some people think there's no chance. But I mean, at the end of the day, we're going to have to admit that what we're doing isn't right. So we, we might actually have to try something else. And maybe the we can be zero is the right movement to go into. And we're told last year that we're going to have, look, each county is going to be on their own. And if you're doing well, that's, well, then, uh, you know, belt away. You can trade away. And then they say, yeah, but sure, listen, as if we open Kerry and Cork, which is doing great, traveling from Dublin and everywhere else is going to be down so they can have a few points. That's not a scientific argument. That's now we're saying that we're not capable of blocking the roads into Kerry and Cork. So we've had, I think, five cases in the last 10, 12 days here in Kerry. I'm not too sure about Cork, but I know you're doing good numbers there as well. Mm, we're getting so down. We not as fast as you guys, but we're getting yeah. down, yeah. But why can't Kerry open? And we block off the main roads to come into it. And we say, look, lads, trade away. 
And yeah. it's, it's not ideal. It's not 100%. But don't tell me we can't at least look at this. And if something happens in Kerry, if there's a breakdown, we shut down everything again straight away. Yeah. It's You're still, in favour of that approach. Oh, 100%. I mean, look, that, that's what I said. There's no way I'm going to deny the fact that there's a pandemic there. However, there's also no way I'm going to deny the fact that there might be a county with next to no cases. And wherever those cases are, we know where they are. New Zealand did it. Australia did it. That if they see it, if there's total shutdown for five days, guys, we get this under control and off we go again. Well, as the professor said to me from Melbourne this morning, the, 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 the one that hit the headlines in Melbourne two weeks ago that affected the tennis, done and dusted yeah. in five days. Done. Cleaned. There you go. Melbourne's open Which again. Is- same with Auckland. Well, Auckland's open again. We're told, PJ, we can't compare ourselves to nations that are doing things better than us. We can't. You can't New Zealand do, you buy that? Do, you buy, do you buy the border yeah. argument? Well, again, it's clearly not a scientific issue. It's a political issue that the guys up in Northern Ireland and down here cannot agree. So let's put it this way. Let's just say this pandemic was the apocalypse that we were told it was going to be 12 months ago. And there were zombies all around the world. Would we shut down our island? Of course we would. So the cynic in me turns around and says, is this pandemic as serious as what they're making out of this? Now, the human side of me is saying, of course it is, because this could explode. I think we know it is, Paul, at this stage. Yeah. I mean, at, yeah, this, at this stage, I've seen one old friend die. And I've, I've, seen, I've, I've seen a relative as sick as they've ever been in their life. It's the same as, 100%. But why can't we agree to shut down. So Leo Varadkar coming on saying there's no point shutting down Dublin Airport should are only going to come in through Belfast. What kind of man- management or leadership is that? That's nonsense. Shut it down anyway. And let's now we know where we, where we have to focus because my job as the leader of this country or the tarnish of this country is to protect every single person that I can. And that's not just on a health issue. That's a mental health issue. It's a livelihood issue. Mm. I need people out there so that they can just hope at the moment, PJ, you know, there is no hope in this country. The people are very, so in a very dark place at the moment. You're, you're not wrong, Paul. Yeah. On the phone, it's easy to say, oh, I'll open my business and see what happens. What if there's an extra 500 or 1,000 deaths? No one knows the effects of these new viruses. And on top of that, yours is the type of business that would bring people from all over. I don't know if Paul has been touched by COVID, that is, or has, has had someone seriously ill or die from it, but it does change your perspective. No, absolutely. And I have lost somebody from it. And my mother was COVID positive last, uh, last April. My sister and her family were COVID positive. They were very sick for a few days. Thankfully, they all came out of it. In fact, my mother, as only my mother and Irish mammies could do, when the HSE to rang her, rang her to tell her she was positive, she goes, thanks be to God, I thought it was cancer. I said, only an Irish mammy would come out with something like that. I didn't know what was wrong with me. And she battled on. So I do 100% get it. But we must also look at the other side of the coin as well. That if we do it, we did exactly what we were told. Those guidelines last year worked. I know they worked because we did them. And every restaurant did them. Every bar did them that was open, gastropub. Every hairdresser's adhered to it. We put in screening. We put in this. We, put, we did everything we were told to do. And there was no cases attributed back to that. You, you'd have to accept, argument, though, wouldn't you, that you can only do that when community transmission is low. Yeah. Uh, and absolutely. at the moment, it's too I'm, high. And that's exactly why I said it's the 1st of July. That's why I'm not saying open up today, because it's not safe to open up my industry today. I know that for a fact, and I'm not going to deny it. And that's why there's a four-month saying, listen, guys, here's what we do. We're going to go through the worst lockdown wherever. Just address the people like they know. Don't think we're thick. We're far smarter than the government are giving us credit for. Here's what I'm saying if I'm Michael Martin, because I hate people giving out and never giving an altar out. Here's what we're doing, guys. From tomorrow, it's a curfew throughout the country, and this is going to be so tough. There's a curfew throughout the country from 6 p.m. One person from each house can do the shopping. Full stop. 
There's nobody else to leave the house. And this is going to be the toughest thing this country has ever done. But in four weeks' time, we're going to come out of it. And then we're going to have a zero COVID policy in the country. That if there's one outbreak, we know exactly where it is. That's the way we're going to do it. It's as tough as hell. And do you know what? No matter who this upsets, because we're never going to sort that border issue. I am now making a temporary border 10 yards in the Republic of Ireland inside that border up there. And I don't give a damn who I upset. We're going to police it, cover it, block it. Nobody is coming in or out of the Republic of Ireland for four weeks. And that's how we're going to solve this. And we're out the gap in four weeks' time. In other words, Paul, you're you're joining the We Can Be Zero campaign. But we, at some stage, PJ, we're going to have to say maybe they're right. Okay. Good to talk to you, my friend. And I I, I sincerely do hope that as soon as you do open... I'll be down there quick, Spart. Talk to you soon. Fingers crossed. Thanks, DJ. Cheers, Paul. 1850 owner of Travol's Restaurant in Killarney. Uh, he speaks his mind and he doesn't hold back, but it's hard to disagree with him. We have to be safe. There is no way. And, he's, and listen very carefully to what he said. He's not going to open his business when it's not safe to do so. So he's given them four months to make it safe for him to open his business. Is he fair? Is he right? Paul is absolutely right, says this message. Shut down the airports. Why are there still flights coming in? It is so stupid. No need to shut them down. Just quarantine them. And quarantine them properly. Not the half-assed way we seem to be going about doing it. Noel says Paul needs to be the leader of the country. All I hear is no cases in schools, restaurants, building sites. So where are all the cases from, says James. Movement of people, James. That's the problem. The big problem is movement of people. Schools are safer. Use the ER bit. Schools are safer. But it's the getting over and back is the problem. Finn says he's been to Paul's place twice since lockdowns began. He broke his back to get a deli open. Then then Finn ate there. And if the meatballs are on the menu, it would all go. Fantastic. Oh, no, at the winter game stew, Finn. Oh yeah, oh yeah, stop, 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 stop. 1850 Paul was, um, Paul was cancelled by another radio show this morning, but we're glad he chose uh, to make his point on the biggest and number one talk show in Cork. 1850-715-996. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With Lehan Motors, leading the way for Toyota hybrids. The place to order your 211 Toyota. See lehanmotors.ie. Social media is full of influencers telling you what to wear, how to live, and what to say. Well, now it's your chance to tell us what to play. Choose our tunes and become a music influencer to win cash with Cork's 96FM. The Monster Music Survey. Take part for your chance to win €1,000. To get involved, go to 96FM.ie and click the survey link. Or check out our social media pages. Nobody does it better. Become a Cork's 96FM music influencer. Do the Monster Music Survey now and you could win cash. Nobody does it better. See 96FM.ie. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award-winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 0833969696. On Cork's 96 FM. If you have come across a little teddy bear by the side of the road and a little solar light next to it, it's a very interesting little novel little thing and it's being done for Creator House and Mick Ryan is the man behind it. Mick, good morning. 
Good morning, Ian Fergal. Thanks very much for having me on the show. You're yeah. through now to PJ. So you're, you're, you're dealing with Fergal. Yeah. Um, you, why did you start doing this? Well, I lost my son through the suicide and my nephew. They were 20. My son was 22 and my son and my nephew was 21. Sorry to hear that. And uh, I just thought then after a few years after, I just thought that I would give something back, you know, help out. Where did you get the idea for the for the teddy bears? Well, the teddy bears, now, I'm operating with PA to House for about seven years now. And uh, we used to go out, book a collecting and, and giving out the brochures for PA to House. And I used to bring these teddy bears with me and we, we'd be giving them out free and the lads would be putting them in the dash of the lorries, the vans, and people would be putting them in the back of the cars and they were all displaying the mental health uh, stickers on on the teddy bears. So the lockdown came last March and then I was left with loads and loads of teddy bears and I thought to myself one morning, what am I going to do with all these teddy bears? And the idea just struck me one morning just as I got up out of bed it was my son from heaven gave me the idea and then I just said what if I start putting them up on a, on the bridges with solar lights and all the all the, uh, the posters for PA the house for help and all that right so um, my first one I put up was in Carlo down a, on a bridge in Carlo and then the response from that was just unbelievable and I just said to myself oh, well, this will work all over the country yeah. and it has it's, it's gone it's gone nationwide yeah. and, it, and it's actually gone into Australia now the idea of it now they're using the teddy bear and the solar light and they're using their own help helpline out there right in, in Australia and and Lanzarote I heard right so it's just a little tiny bear and yeah. a solar light which you get them in the supermarkets and wherever for three or four yeah. quid solar light and they're Cable tied onto a fence, is it, or something yeah. like that? Or a tree or whatever. But I need to tell people, if they're going to be volunteering in this, that we need a good teddy bear, a good stiff teddy bear, that the teddy bear will have its arms opened and looking straight at the person that's in trouble, meaning that sometimes we get the teddy bears that when the, when, when the rain gets them, they flop down, their heads go down. So we don't need that. We need a teddy bear that's, just to give the chap a little bit of hope, you know. So that when they come down and look at it, and the message next to it is what, Mick? Uh, your, fa- your family and friends love you, and it's all in big writing. And once they see that then, and all the text and the helplines are down along with the, the poster. So hopefully that if he's walking down the river and he's in trouble and he sees a light from a distance in the dark, and the light is pulling him away from thinking what he's going to do, and hopefully then if he gets down to the teddy bear and the solar light has to be shining on the on on the sign your family and friends love you. Yeah. So he takes his phone out of his pocket, switches it back on, and then texts his third and then and then we have him. Yeah. Yeah. How many how many bears have you got around the country now, well, Mick? My plan was at the start if I got a hundred teddy bears around Ireland, I'd be very happy with that in towns and villages or anywhere. But uh, it's just started expanding everywhere, really, down. There's a lady putting eight of them down along the Shannon and Limerick there just this week. Right. They're all along the Liffey from Cable Street down to the Point Depot on both sides of the Liffey. They're just and they're all over Drotted, all over the, the bridges in Drotted as well. 
So it just took uh, expanded out from there, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, you're, uh, you're, have you got anyone doing them in Cork? Yeah, I think there's one or two ladies doing them in Cork. But the whole idea is once one person sends away from for all the posters, I send out the, all the posters. They go find a, a good teddy bear and they go and buy a good solar light. I mean, a good solar light we need because the the, the longer the light, the long lasts on them, the, the longer we can save a life. Yeah. Yeah, because it's, it's it's the whole, and in a way, when you look at it, with Pieto House, the, yeah. the whole ethos is darkness into light, the big yeah, fundraiser in May, so a little bit of light on a dark night and shining on your message. Yes, definitely, and that's that's the whole thing, because if you're in anyone that suffers with depression would know what I'm talking about. They go into a dark hole, they pull the curtains, they don't get up and all this, so they're out and they're walking and they're in trouble anyone, anyone. Yeah. and they see that light that light is pulling them pulling them away they probably think it's a light to give them the sign from heaven or a family so hopefully if they get to the teddy bear as I say he takes out his phone then he texts his help and it has worked we've got we got reports in that it's working. Great. Well, hopefully now that the message is out in Cork, we, we there are yeah. one or two of them around. We're just getting messages here. There are one or two of them around. We might get more because it's yeah. a, it's a it's a lovely idea, Mick, and, yeah. and best of luck with it. And lovely to talk to you on the opinion line. Yeah, and thanks very much. I I, I didn't get your name there, PJ. Yeah. PJ, thanks, thanks for having me on the show. Then. Absolutely, absolutely yeah. delighted. Eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six. It's such a lovely little idea. That's Mick Ryan. If you are someone who needs help, you can text the word help at any time to Pieta on five one four four four, or you can text the HSE around the clock five zero eight zero eight. There are other places you can call if you're in a difficult place. You can call the Samaritans one one six. One, two, three. Or you can just call your GP or talk to a friend or a workmate or your brother or your sister. But do not suffer alone. It's just a lovely, lovely idea. The teddy bear and the light. Speaking of teddy bears, totally different. My, I noticed that the collection of teddy bears out at the civic community site out the um, Link Road is just growing and growing and growing. I was out there Saturday morning getting rid of some electrical stuff in the recycling and it's brilliant. It's just brilliant. And when the sun comes out and they dry up, they'll be gorgeous altogether. But if you if you know of anyone who wants to help uh, put up one of those, or you want to put up one of those teddy bears yourself, so you can get in touch with Piano House and they'll, they'll help you. To a TV show you might have missed because it's on Apple TV, um, which is one of the smallest of the platforms, but growing a bit. I got a new phone recently, and I got a year's subscription to Apple TV, and I managed to get the app on me telly, so it's it's, it's good stuff. What's this one called, George? Good morning to you. Good morning to you, PJ. How are you? Well, good. What's, I, am, I am better than you, my friend, because you, you, you burst your ankle recently. I'll ask I you did. about I that. broke my leg, yeah. Good for you. Good for you. You're recovering, yeah. are you? Yeah, I am. It's fine. It's fine. It's good. It could be worse. Yeah. How did you do it? Um, I fell. I fell down the stairs sober. <laughs> yeah, you wouldn't I do. You I wouldn't do it. Go down the stairs drunk. <laughs> <laughs> Talk to me about for all mankind because it looks like the kind of show I want to go look at. Yes, doesn't it? It is. Um, what it basically is is um, it's it's a story about um, about nineteen 
1969, roughly. Uh, it's very retro, um, and it's about the um, about the moon landing. But what they've done is they've they've changed the timeline, and this time instead of the uh, instead of the Americans landing on the moon, the Russians beat them to it. And what he did was it accelerated the space race. So it's like, um, it's a little delving into, there's a couple of things about it. One, the fact that it is very retro, and we all do like the retro stuff at the moment, where it's, um, they do such good period um, filming now. Yeah. You know, it actually, it, 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 it makes it look technicolor. It's like, it's like an old like technicolor film that we used to watch when we were kids. Um, so... Aesthetically, it's pleasing, yeah, and um, it's about the 1969 moonshot, and it's on a different timeline, right? Um, so, space, what it means is space travel moves faster in it, right? the pace of it, the, the evolution of, uh, of equality, sexism, you know, it all changes. Yeah. And uh, but, they, but they try and keep the general background of the, um, uh, of the timeline, you know, the same. Like, it would still be Kennedy, who was the um, president yeah. to start with, but then that changes as well because there's a different dynamic to everything. Yeah. So, and it is it's very, it's very interesting to the, watch. The, the, the premise is that the, that the race didn't end, isn't it? That's exactly that, yeah. The, the, um, uh, the space race just didn't really come to an end. Uh, so it's, you know, technology. You see technology moving faster, quicker as well. You know, and uh, and there's there's all there's little other nuances about it. Yeah. You know, it, it deals with darker sides of things as well. Yeah. As far as you know, like you know, the relationships. Like there's there's women um, uh, there's women astronauts in this. You know, and so that has to all be dealt with. You know, in in the sixties, um, and it's really good. It's really a satisfying watch. I yeah. think. It's a nice break as way away as well from what's around us at the moment, which is what we're all looking for. And I guess it's nice retro as well. I, I love these old... I, I watched one of the Dirty Harry movies recently with my son on a Sunday afternoon. And of course, I was a huge fan. Now he is too. But the thought that there was no such thing as a mobile phone or anything like that. No, no, exactly. Yeah, a completely, completely different method of um, communication. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. Oh, well, I remember. I remember standing outside. If you wanted, if you wanted to call somebody or if you wanted to reach somebody, then you'd have to you'd have to ring them in the morning before they went out, or you'd have to specify a, um, a telephone box to be at near at a certain time of the day. That's right. That's right. That's otherwise, right. otherwise, forget it. Yeah. So it's it's a nice little bit of science fiction and history and drama is, all rolled yeah. in. And you say it's very well produced. I, I think it's very very well produced. It's got. Um, I think it's got. Uh, who's in it? Um, I wrote down, oh yeah, Joel Kinnaman. Yeah. Uh, Joel Kinnaman, um, he plays the part of Edward Baldwin, Baldwin one, of the, um, one of the astronauts. He was uh, Alex Murphy in the second incarnation of Robocop. Ah. And, and, yeah, yeah. So yes. Him and, you know, and, uh, and he was also, which I didn't know until I was just like, looking up a while ago, but he was Rick Flagg in Suicide Squad. Uh-huh. Which is, uh, the, um, so he's so he's been about. He's like, uh, and he's a very good actor. Uh, Michael Dorman, who plays Gordy, yeah, he's uh, he's from The Invisible Man, and he was in that um, Patriot series, yes. yeah, uh, from two thousand. Good cast, good cast, and and Apple, in fairness it to Apple, they're, cast, they're yeah. spending money on making stuff too, which is which is good to see. Listen, George, we recommend it highly. It's eleven episodes, two short. Seasons episodes yeah. range between what between forty five minutes and an hour and a bit. It's about forty five minutes an hour, yeah. All and right, they, they is, it is worth watching, and uh, and it satisfies um, all sorts of things. You know, it's, it's romantic and it's also sort of you know it's some sadness in it. Cool. I mean, like, we're all sort of um, 
I think one of the things about where we are at the moment is like, you know, we're all sort of like a little bit more emotional than we used to be. Yeah. But this, this, this fills all the, um, this fills all the gaps nicely cool. for us. Cool. I can also say another one, The Dig, in the, Netflix, The Dig. The Gig. Right? The okay. Gig, it's called. Um, it's the with, Dig. Um, oh, yes, this is the historical the one, yeah. Yeah, uh, Carrie Mulligan and Ralph Fiennes. It is, it is, um, I, it's just enthralling. That's a movie, is it, or a series? It, yeah, it's a, it's a film, it's a film, yeah. yeah. And it's called The Dig, and it's about, uh, it's about, uh, um, uh, an archivist, it's not an archivist, sorry. An archaeologist, yeah. 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 yeah, I've and seen the promo for it, yeah. It. Yeah, very, very good. I watched it, I just couldn't keep my eyes off the screen. Excellent. All right, listen, Joe. Oh, by the way, you're doing a bit of music as well, yourself and, 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 and the good lady. Yeah, my, all of myself on a Saturday night, 8 till um, eight till 9, we do uh, what we call in the uh, Saturday night fish fry. We're just doing it. To, well, it's like our Saturday night out, actually. Good for you. you. Know, we'll have a glass of wine and we sing along to any karaoke song you ask. And, we, and we'll sing along to it without rehearsing it beforehand or knowing what key it's in so it's, uh, <laughs> it's a bit like being back with the band isn't it <laughs> it is really, yeah. so it's, it basically it's just like a gig you would see me at <laughs> George good to, good to catch up old buddy George Patterson he of the Roaring Forties who hopefully one day soon will be back on stages again when we have no idea but we hope they will Man for all mankind on Apple TV if you bought a phone an, I, a, a, an iPhone or an iPad or a Apple computer in the last while you probably have 12 months free subscription uh, and it's it's, it's only 4 99 a month anyway for Apple TV that's worth watching speaking of television um, Unforgotten is back I was telling you about that last week three series of it on Netflix the fourth series of it now has come up on UTV or ITV it's another six six parter another cold case for Cassie and Sonny to get their teeth into series one to three they just improved with every series uh, and of course this one has been filmed in, in the context of the pandemic and all of that so really really looking forward to seeing that one and something else that I started watching the other night with the Queen Bee on Netflix and young Mr Murdoch had been recommending it to me here it is called White House Farm again it's one of the ones tagged on Netflix at the moment. White House Farm is a true crime drama. In other words, they've taken a true crime basis and they've made a drama out of it. It's not a documentary. It's based on a case, a real case of, of a murder-suicide. Which is pretty grim, admittedly. But there is an old fashioned detective in it. An old style detective. And if you're into old style detective shows, imagine if Jack Frost Okay, from a touch of frost. Imagine if Jack Frost and Cracker from Robbie Coltrane's character from Cracker. Imagine if they had a love child. That's what Stan, who's the detective in White House Farm, I think would look like. And he just isn't happy with the way his colleagues in the police force are dealing with this investigation. I am only after three episodes. It's brilliant. White House Farm. Can't recommend it enough. It's it's on Netflix. On Paul Travold. Owen says, we've no fair play to that restaurant owner. We've no leadership, no accountability from anyone. And he's right. With all the subcommittees, they keep passing the book. No real follow-up plan and no solid time frame or plan for the vaccine yet. 
I'm not really interested in the statement tonight. I'm sick to death of it, and I'm getting so frustrated listening to, we'll do this and we'll do that, and the only thing that can help us is, is, is vaccination. City Hall, is it actually used yet? I hope you go to town on me, Hall, when you speak to him. He really needs to start delivering. Tracy is listening in Dublin. We won't hold that against you, Tracy. <laughs> no, seriously. Tracy is listening in Dublin. Paul is dead right at what he's saying. Shut us down hard for four weeks. Enough is enough. I can't get to Cork to see my elderly parents. They're cocooning nearly a year. The government needs to cop on. It's the likes of Paul we should have in government, not the shower we have now. This is another message. Paul's my new hero. Uh, Paul's absolutely right. Shut down Dublin Airport. Why are there still flights coming in? It is so stupid. Paul needs to be the leader of the country, says Noel. Well, Paul isn't about shutting down the airport. Quarantine properly. Nobody should be stepping off a plane into this country for the foreseeable without being banged into quarantine. As Professor Toole was saying from Melbourne earlier on this morning, you want to get into Australia? You're quarantined, dude, for two weeks. And you know them civil liberties and human rights you keep bleating on about? Well, look at the people out there getting back with their lives, the general populace. Those are the human rights we care about. So get in there now, close the door, and we'll see you in a fortnight. And we need to do that here, or otherwise we're banjaxed. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With Lehan Motors, leading the way for Toyota hybrids. The place to order your 211 Toyota. See lehanmotors.ie. Simon Murdoch and the best music mix. Weekdays from midday on Cork's 96FM. Let's see, a Ferrari, luxury apartment in New York, a villa in Ibiza. Oops, sorry, just listing out what I'm going to spend my Euro Millions win on. Let's fly through Tuesday afternoon together i got the tunes for you. See you for midday on Cork's 96 FM. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award-winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now. 1850-715-996. On Cork's 96 FM. Yep. Hi, PJ. Paul is right. We're all getting very angry with the loose travel in and out of the country. And when you get angry, you start to rebel. It's about time the government started to keep the majority of people in Ireland safe from those who don't give a damn. Do as Paul suggested. Get back to normal. Thank God I haven't lost anyone through COVID. I would at this point be blaming the wishy-washy enforcement of travel if I had. I nearly freaked when I heard people going on holidays or so-called dental treatment in hot countries. It's ridiculous. That's from Karina. And let's be very straight with Paul. He's not stra- He's not saying he's going to open his doors recklessly. He wants it to be safe, community safe, the transmission way, way low, and then he's opening his restaurant. And the way they're going in Kerry, they're getting there already. We will get there if we keep going the way we're going. But he's also believing that, you know what, if it is a thing that only Cork and Kerry, for argument's sake, can have a zero COVID mentality. Let's go and do it. Let's just make it happen and stop faffing about. 185715996. We talked about music getting us through this pandemic and the little things you find on the internet. Check this out. I won't cry. I won't cry. No, I won't shed a tear just as long as you stand. Stand by me. Dun dun, me and you better felt it. I can't beat you, but you're so hot that I melted. I fell right through the cracks, and now I'm trying to get back. 
Kearney, you've loads of time on your hands. They're brilliant. Good morning. Good morning, PJ. Thanks for having me. They're fabulous, and and they're all over your Instagram. You're a music teacher and a, a choir um, conductor. Yeah, yeah. And, and you're I bored thought, out of your mind, I'd say, are you? <laughs> well, look, I, I'll be honest. School keeps me very busy, but um, I suppose as a musician, like there, before this pandemic, I didn't have a night free. Every night there was it was either a choir, it was a concert, it was planning for a charity gig, or you know, like when you're when you're a performer, your life is just consumed by it, you know. Yeah. And I suppose for me, there's like two elements of performing. There's the being on stage and that doesn't matter if you're on stage and there's 12,000 people listening to you or you're performing and there's 12 people uh, but the other element is the audience and in the interaction and the meeting people afterwards you know so I suppose that's what I'm really missing at the moment when I'm not performing it's not that um, like there's more extra time in the evenings definitely but I just miss that interaction and being on a stage and just having the buzz of an audience and um, uh, uh, listening to you know and watching you so I suppose that's where the, the Instagram stuff came from yeah. like PJ I, I didn't even have a Facebook page um, <laughs> until um, until kind of Covid happened yeah. you know? there's you and the ukulele and they're lovely but the one the, the, the choir type ones there's a lot of work in them yeah well I suppose I've been working with choirs for years from being in choirs from a very early age and then leading them um, as I got a bit older and conduct, I conduct the Cargillade Singers uh, at the moment as well who be well known around Cork and I suppose like I, I, as time went on I was kind of just starting to marry the two like I'd be always I, I would always have to make rehearsal tracks for the choir so I'd be singing the different parts and put them on you know as CDs and then um, the choir would, would listen to them and come knowing their parts so I'd always be listening to harmonies and singing harmonies in my head. And then the, the the idea of just putting the tracks together and making a kind of a video out of it just happened kind of by accident really after Christmas, you know. And um, I suppose there is a bit of work in it, but it's no more work than I'd be doing if yeah. it's working. And it's fun and it, and it works out it it works out really well. And who's the little boy that pops in? That's your, that's your son. <laughs> yeah, that's one of, uh, one of my three sons be popping their heads in the ad thing. You can't keep them away and there's no point in trying to ask them to be quiet. I think it you adds know. to it though. Yeah, good. <laughs> it's brilliant. Yeah. It, it really is. So where can we find your Instagram, isn't it? Alan Carney. Yeah, it's on Instagram. Cor- uh, Alan Carney underscore Cork. Carney with a C, C-A-R-N-E-Y. And All look, right. it's just a bit of crack, PJ. It's not like people are paying 25 euro for tickets and going to come disappointed at the end of it. You know? No, it's you lovely. Know, like and so, and they're, they're, they're lovely. And yeah. as I said, more ukulele, please, because it's lovely. Yeah, good. Nice to hear. Well, I'll see what I can do. <laughs> Cheers, Alan. Thanks <laughs> a minute. I'm, certain, I'm certainly following after watching those videos. Uh, thanks for that, Alan Carney. Story breaking from Dublin at the moment. Gardy have arrived at a beauty salon which has reopened despite level 5 restrictions. CNN Beauty Rooms in Balbriggan completely booked out today and tomorrow. They explain they're reopening as they have a right to earn a living. Not quite what Paul Trevaud is doing and Dublin's a flipping basket case. That's idiotic. Idiotic. And that's it for today. The programme edited by Terry Brennan, produced and researched by Fergal Barry. Stay safe, stay in out of that. And we'll see you tomorrow just after nine. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.